everybody. Welcome to Mangum Talk Shogun. This is Mangum Talk's podcast where we review the television show Shogun and a little bit of the book. A little bit of the book, right, Spencer? I'm your host, Lee. I, I'm here. I'm Joe with my co-host, Spencer. Spencer, how are you? How often do I get to say we're about to do an adaptation of my, one of my favorite books ever? We, we've done that a few times on this show, but this truly ranks for me. I know. It's very, very rare. Our, you know, people who follow Mango Talks podcast who come with us from different shows, who've gone down the silo with us, have gone in the break room over mm-hmm. at Lumen with us, uh, they know Spencer doesn't get excited. He gets dragged <laughs> along. He doesn't get excited. Spencer is excited for this. Tell, tell the people where you're podcasting from. I am podcasting right now from my garage because my house suffered what is best described, according to my insurance adjuster, as a fecal explosion. But I would not be delayed. We said we'd do Wednesday. I'm excited to do Wednesday. The disaster that is my bathrooms can be fixed later after we talk Shogun. You were you were acting up. You were not acting according to the cultural values around you. And someone dumped a bunch of fish guts in the middle of your house. See, That's just what happened. See, this is what this is an understanding that I am a peasant within this steered and stratified society, and I acted outside of my station. And whereas some peasants in certain examples get rapidly beheaded, I suffer shit explosions. It's just how the universe works. We are here reviewing Shogun. Finally, Spencer, we have been off for four months, three, four months. It has been a long time that we've been off. Uh, the people have been asking what what in the world happened. A lot of people thought maybe we had quit doing podcasts. That didn't happen. They wanted to know why. Why does it take it so long? Well, um, first off, it's just how the schedule sort of worked out. We had a busy 2023. Uh, but also, we really wanted to do this show. So we didn't want to start another show. We can do one a week based on our personal schedules, right? So um, we didn't want to start another show and then be you know, not able to cover this week by week. So we have cleared the docket. We cleared the schedule so that we could do Shogun. Spencer, as established in our intro pod, right? Anybody listen to the intro pod? If you did, thank you. Spencer's a fan of the book, big fan of the book, one of his Just favorite books. He's got a history with the book that includes his dad, which includes suckering me into reading the thing, um, getting our friends to read it. He is a he's a show good fan. Uh, when you say suckered, do you actually what? mean? What did I say? Huh? I, I think you used the word suckered huh? in terms of getting you involved in this. Um, I don't know. I don't personally find anything objectionable about us agreeing to, you know, share books that we like and me sending you a 1,200-page book is the first time we do this. I, I think that's perfectly normal behavior. I always explain it to people as we have this book club we do. We give out give a books during the holidays, and Spencer just tried to burn it to the ground. But <laughs> me, and our, me and our other friend, we were, we were so we're so stubborn about dragging Spencer along with these activities that we, we happened to just go ahead and read the whole thing. But he yeah. tried to burn it down. Shogun... It's a book you like, right? They did a television adaptation in the 80s. You described it as having a high school drama class budget. Let's just put that one aside as if that didn't happen. Understood. The world wants to know. We're all in rapt anticipation. Spencer, you've seen the first episode. What did you think? It's... You know me. I'm always a person that's a purist. I'm always going to complain when there are changes that are made to source material that I already like. That's just the nature of how I go. So it was fascinating to experience something of where it is clearly condensing, it is clearly covering like 200 pages of the book in the first episode. It's even changing names of certain of the characters. But seeing how deftly done it was, how much clear appreciation the creators of this show have, same as James Clavel did, for betraying this setting in a well-created, well-thought-out, clearly heartfelt kind of way. I have some quibbles, uh, primarily with changes. 
I have some issues with respect to some aspects of the pacing, given how fast they're having to go through this, but I thought it was a well-crafted, well-structured, and intelligently done adaptation of the first part of the book. Still, still going to say the, part, the book's better, because that's just me, but I was impressed with the first episode in terms of how well they pulled it across. Can I just say this? I was stunned. I was stunned at how well it was done. Yeah. It's not that it's the best television show I've ever seen. That's I'm not I'm not saying what I'm saying is I did not expect a Shogun reboot in 2024 to get like wheel this of time budget, money. This like, effort. Like like Amazon like wheel of time reacher money. Like throwing oh, big yeah. money at this thing. I thought it was thoughtfully done. I thought it was it looked fine. It looked like the scale I would want. Mm-hmm. And just visually, I was sort of stunned at, you know, because you look, FX has done some great shows. They've done some clunkers, too. So you don't it, it, FX doesn't immediately make you think, oh, well, they're going to spend two million, five million, ten million an episode on this thing. But it did feel like a big budget, like seminal big show. I was excited. It, it felt like a big budget. I agree with you. FX is not a guaranteed brand. They've had some good shows looking through their portfolio. Um, they've had some ones that are utterly forgettable. This seems like they really put some effort not only in just throwing the money, but even the casting. I was really impressed by how many of the actors, regardless of their roles, really represented both of what I know of the characters of the book, but also setting up kind of their own role and immediate presence very quickly when it comes to how they're being portrayed on the screen. Oddly enough, one of my few, I don't know if it's a complaint, he's just a very different character, is actually going to be our main character, which may be interesting to discuss with you, just in terms of he feels a lot different to me than he does in he the does. book. Yeah, he does. Um, I don't think it's necessarily a problem. I just think they're just going a consciously different route for how they're going to depict him. But it did stand out to me, whereas other characters, I have an immediate sense of them carried through from the books, but even without that, people I know that have just watched this first episode are like, I get that guy now. I know I have a feel for him. I have an anticipation for him. I have an understanding of the character in very fast time. We've talked about with some shows, particularly adaptations, how much they seem to struggle to get a full sense of their characters within a reasonable period of time. This doesn't seem like it's going to have that problem. I think your your point on Blackthorn is a good one, which we'll get into this. That'll be interesting to discuss. Um, I do think that you get a feel for certain characters with one exception. You do not get a feel for Taranga. And by the way, if you're waiting to get a feel for Taranga, wait. (laughs) Just keep waiting because it's going to be a long wait until you get a feel for that guy. I don't know. I I felt like it was – it exceeded my expectations. Certainly there's some issues. We'll discuss those as we go through our format. Our format here on Mango Talk Shogun is we will do a recap of the episodes. Spencer and I like to do a pretty detailed recap of the episodes. We typically go line by line or close to it. Uh, at least scene by scene to discuss what happened in the episode. Then we'll get to our segment. Spencer, talk to the people about the segments. Uh, we're doing a few this time. We, of course, as you said, like to do best line of the episode. But other things we wanted to cover is a key trope when it comes to this book. Something that comes up very frequently. And a key aspect of, you know, the foreign entering a foreign country is culture clashes. There are so many that occur in this first episode. There are so many that occur throughout the series. <laughs> yeah. We're going to address some of our favorite culture clash moments when it comes to episode one and every episode to come from there we're going to go into of course who won the episode it's a repeat one that we Winners, love to losers. do we love to debate this is a show which introduces the idea of lords jockeying for power nations competing for power cultures competing for power and we're going to pick or at least lay out some options for who we think reigns supreme in within the confines of this particular episode 
We're going to wrap up, though, with something I want you to introduce, because it's one you brought forward I think is a brilliant idea, and I think it's one that literally the government of Japan thanked James Clavel for, for what effect his book had on the the nation. Sir, what is our final Very simple. It's reasons Lee wants to go to Japan this week. (laughs) There it is. Because I was, I am a mark, right? I am nothing if not a mark. I've been watching wrestling my entire life. Whenever I get, look, I started watching the Wheel of Time TV show. Guess what? I'm on book 11 right now. Like, I got into Game of Thrones. Guess what? Dragon Con last year. Like, I am a mark. If, If there's a, if I get into something, I get into it, right? So I started reading this book and I was that person. I was like, I'm going to eat smaller meals with just a little bit of rice and just a couple pieces of fish. I don't need these big portions. I'm going to go to Japan. Like, so I'm the mark of the episode. Um, always going to be the mark of the episode. And I will talk about what in the episode made me want to go to Japan. Cause there were certainly, certainly a lot of things in the book that made me like daydream. Like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm, gonna, I'm just going to pick up. I'm going to move to Japan. I think they got it figured out. That's what I think, dude. Like, Mountain Village, North Meadow, there. For sure. All right. So episode one for Shogun Engine. Engine. Which, which, as you and I know, fluent in Japanese from reading the book, is Japanese for pilot. Engine, pilot, that is the start. So we start which, with a ship. Which look, I, di- I did not realize until this moment that they named the first episode pilot. Yeah, <laughs> pilot. Double meaning, good, right? well done. The, well the done, pilot. Well done. I think it's triple meaning. I think it's a rare triple meaning. I think it's the pilot, right? We're, we're mm-hmm. following Blackthorn. I think it, the name Engine... Like actually, he ends up being called that eventually, right? Like so his, that that has a meaning. His title, his also, name. So guess what? It's first episode. Although this did not get a pilot. That that's the funny part is that this got a full series order, which you would expect with the fucking scale of this thing. This wasn't oh, like, yeah. hey, we're just going to do shoot this at a studio, then go out in the real world and do it. They are in the real world, my friend. This is they are, <laughs> they're not they're not shutting this down for episode two. So uh, this is episode one, Angie. We see out in the mist on the sea just a ship. Just barely coming into our screen. Looks beat to hell. Um, the Erasmus. Then we cut into a room and the ship, Erasmus name of the ship that he's on. What, I don't think I don't think we get that name here, right? I don't think we get that name I, in this episode, do we? They casually say it at one point, but yeah, it's a, it's a bigger thing in the book. I, visually, I love how it's portrayed in terms of it is a ghost ship. It is a ship of the damned. It is a ship of the dead. It is barely even... It, it is floating without any conscious will of man in terms of this ship going on its on its journey. One of my favorite parts of the episode is how they did how they did the ship because it even exceeded sort of what how I had envisioned it um, because mm-hmm. it, that is the point is that they were absolutely on their last legs and they get that here in the scene right. So the screen says the year is sixteen hundred. I'm going to read you the text that we get from the first slide. Mm-hmm. For decades, Portuguese Catholics have richly profited from trade in Japan. They have kept its whereabouts hidden from their sworn enemies, the European Protestants. In Osaka, the reigning Taiko has died, leaving behind an heir too young to rule. Five warrior lords are now trading, uh, are now traded in a bitter struggle. All of them seek the title that would make the power absolute. And then we cut to our title sequence, Shogun. So interesting thing about the, the way that they give the background here. The, the, the tension between the, Portuguese Catholics and basically the European Protestants. Mm-hmm. We get a lot of Blackthorn in the book, right? He's our he's our POV. Mm-hmm. So we get a lot of that. I would not say it's the primary tension of the book. No, it is the primary tension for who I would say is our main protagonist and our main character, at least at first. Um, it's part of the reason for his arrival, but he's rapidly getting to a world that only halfway gives a shit about any of that. 
it's interesting to me that it seems like they've almost elevated that storyline a little bit um, because now we, we're getting a lot of that with Blackthorn and Rodriguez. It seems like the the tension between the Portuguese Catholics and like his true intent for coming there, which in the show is I'm going to burn everything down and then we're just going to start trading with Japan and make a million dollars. This. Yeah, that's kind of what the show's going for. Yes. Right. Th- that is seemingly almost on a level with what we're supposed to be following, at least from the first episode, with the power struggle within Japan proper. Uh, And I suspect that is intentionally misleading. I think it's more reflecting... I I think it is the starting point of where our character is... It's a starting point not only for the audience, but for our main character. And maybe we'll see as time goes on how those priorities may shift. Yeah, I mean, I'm saying that in a kind of a negative way, right? Like, my favorite thing yeah. about the book was the power struggle between the, the, lords. the lords. So I hope that that's what Council, we really focus on here. So we cut to someone dropping a line uh, off the side of the boat, with the Erasmus, and picking something up from the side of the ship. It looks like he's getting a sample of what's on the bottom of the ocean floor, and we see white <laughs> sand. Noticeable reaction from our guy. I, th- I think what he's doing is he's measuring depth, because he measures it 10 fathoms. The fact he's able to get white sand at... But both at that depth, but just in general, indicates to him we may be getting close to a shore. Blackthorn is the guy's name. Comes in, John Blackthorn. He comes in, talks to the captain of the ship, who is an older fella, looks worse for wear, I'd say. He tells the captain that there is white sand ten fathoms. He says, "You see what you want to see." This guy's checked out. Our guy Blackthorn throws in his face that the Spaniard's rudder was right about Magellan's pass, was it not? So this is a group of people that have been on a long journey. They are Hell they have scurvy. They uh, the, the captain is, establishes that they ran out of food a while ago and that they've run out of water today. They are on their last legs here. We also get in this conversation that they started with five ships. Now they're one. Mm-hmm. So they have, they have been, their numbers have dwindled over this, but what Blackthorn asserts here very quickly is that the rudder, do you want to explain to people what the rudder is? Uh, Rudder is basically a, it's not only just a collection of maps, it's the personal account of someone who has sailed that particular voyage before, taking their own notes and their own guides for what reefs to avoid, what what coasts to follow, what latitudes you need to, uh, you you need to go by in terms of getting from one destination to another. In this case, it was a stolen series of maps that they used to get through the Strait of Magellan, the bottom of South America, around into the Pacific. And then it gives vague instructions about between what latitudes Japan is, but it doesn't tell you how far east and west that is. So let's, yeah, let's talk to the people a little bit how long their journey is. The entirety of the Pacific Ocean. Well, how do they even from, get to the Pacific Ocean? Well, they went from, again, our main character is English, but he is a pilot in the service of a Dutch fleet. They left the Netherlands. They went all the way down along the coast, across the Atlantic, down the coast of South America, burning and pillaging and raping, sadly, too, eventually, for various debatable reasons, went through the Strait of Magellan, crossed into the Pacific, and then sailed across the Pacific, not encountering land, going all the way from the from the west coast of South America, all the now way, now over to the island of Honshu in Japan. So they have crossed the Atlantic and the Pacific in this boat. Yep. They've been gone some years. They have been gone years and the captain uh takes the rudder puts it in his desk seems to lock it up he tells the he tells blackthorn that he needs to make plans they are out of food as of today they're out of water blackthorn seems convinced they'll reach reach uh, i love the pronunciation they do the japan the, the japan the japan uh, the, they're gonna the, reach the japan what, today 
How, how does he refer to the Japanese people later? The the the, the, the Jap- Japanese Japanese Japanese. Yeah, <laughs> it's really good. Blackthorn dreams of laying claim to the land and then returning. The pilot goes, "Not with me. You're not. I am not going to be re- the ca- returning." The, the, the captain general is dead. He, whether he is lit, breathing or not, he has chosen to die right here, which is maybe symbolic of some scenes we get later. He points out they started with five ships, five hundred men. Now they can barely crew a single vessel at my age you draw your line blackthorn seems saddened by this and i think that we need to pay attention to this scene i think this mm-hmm. is an important scene because he the pilot drops the sand on the table blackthorn says it's the coward's way out remember that blackthorn believes that suicide even in the dire straits that he's in he's he's gone through two oceans they're out of food he even explains later we were eating rope we were so we were, we were like we were so at at a point we were we were so desperate we were eating rope we were out of water even at that point he believes that suicide is a coward's it, way out it seems like the main one of the main traits they're emphasizing about blackthorn along with his anger is his utter determination not to quit um, that's something that's apparent from this early scene. Is just the idea of giving up now, at any point, but particularly now, is abhorrent to him. And the fact that the captain is now exiting on these terms is something he doesn't even want to be a part of. Yeah, he gives him the gun, he walks out. Captain is trying to, I think in some ways, psych himself up for what he's about to do, but also he's communicating to Blackthorn that it's like, it's okay, right? It's, he's welcoming death. He's calling us home, yeah. he says. Blackthorn, disgusted by this, walks out, goes to the top of the of the, the deck, and then we hear the shot. It's notable. This this is a scene that does not occur in the books, but it's notable the parallels they're drawing with the scene for the idea of death poems and choosing your own death that we see later in the episode, of where, at least from a Christian sense, the captain does give a form of death poem in terms of feeling like the hand of God upon your face before he exits. As you said, he's trying to come to terms with it himself, but that's kind of the purpose of that. While the scene doesn't happen in the books, the books do establish how... Blackthorn screwed. They all are. <laughs> well, well, that, but also that Blackthorn it does not view suicide as a reasonable option. For hundred percent, no. Key key aspect of his character. And I think that this scene is way less about the captain and more about establishing that Blackthorn abhors the idea of suicide. Good, That's going to be just extremely important later. Then we see some cliffs and rocks and a man walking between them with a box in his hand. He's singing softly in Japanese. Yeah. He goes out to the rocks, looks up. Pulls up across, seems to pray. I like that we get that immediately. They want us to know, yes, the year is 1600. Not, this is not walking around knowledge for most people in America in 2024, but in 1600, Christianity had found its way to Japan. Specifically Catholicism. Uh, and I suspect, from the book, I'm betting that this is the, the village headman Murrah, given how much we see of him later. I think so, too. He, we hear uh, Wood Creek, and he, he looks up, he sees the ship coming in, and man... It is beat to hell. <laughs> it, it's almost like it is on. Uh, it, it is a better version of Tesla's autopilot, of where it's just kind of deciding, oh, I need to park here, getting into the harbor. And we really get a sense of the size of the ship here because oh, while yeah. we have seen it on the on the sea, right? We've seen Blackthorn up on the deck, and I'm not sure the deck is perfectly to scale as we go through the different scenes. But I think that the, when the ship coming in is where you get a sense of just how big. And by the way, the ship would need to be big for what they did. It would it can't be that Rasmus cannot be small to go. Oh, we'll just go Atlantic down South America, then go all the way up through the Pacific, kind of diagonal, and find our way up in Japan. Got to be a decent sized ship. 
It, it's, in terms of the period, sure. In terms of modern era, this thing probably weighs 200 to 300 tons. So, relatively speaking, in modern era, it's tiny. But as you said, this is still a ship that is ocean sailing, ocean crossing. And having that thing come at you, it's a, still a big chunk of wood. Yeah. Cut to shoulders coming out of the ship. We see uh, our soldiers coming up to the ship. We see the Japanese uh, soldiers come up to the ship. Notice their shoes. I want to point out their shoes right away. Um, Foreign. Leather shoes with rope tied around them. Did you catch that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's notable how much they focus on that, particularly when they, we see a Lord Yabu climbing later. I like that they pay a lot of attention to the details of the outfit and how distinct they are. Yeah. So, you know, they have the, the leather um, for the to, to protect the foot, right? And then the, the rope helps get the traction, I think, is the mm-hmm. idea. And it's cheap. Cheap thing to pull together. Oh, yeah. So it, they go, yeah very right? functional. They go down to the belly of the ship and find sick men everywhere. The leader... Looks at one of them, mutters something about starvation. Uh, you, you see scurvy in his teeth. His teeth are practically gone for the guy he opens, opens the mouth of. Right. And, you know, one thing I really enjoyed in the book is that we have these great scenes of Blackthorn when he's still on Erasmus. He's got a rotting lemon. And he just takes <laughs> little, on it small little pieces of it here and there. And he has this inner <laughs> monologue of, like, these dumbasses don't know how to, like, prevent scurvy, but, like, I know how to eat rotten fruit. Like, I got this thing nailed. You know, he thinks he's, like, and in some ways he is, killing it. He's, he's doing he's better. Doing really well. What? And it's notable. I wonder whether this is them carrying that through, that the actor who plays Blackthorn has decidedly better teeth than all of his comrades, or if they just need him to be hot, given the role he's going to play. Uh, a little bit. Of, why can't it be both, Spencer? Why can't, why can't it, it be, be both? both, I say? Blackthorn makes a run for it, but they knock him down with some work. Take some work though. They can't do it yeah. right away. It's not yeah. like one of them. Yeah. It takes two or three of these guys to like get him on the ground. Point for later. Blackthorn's a scrapper. And strong. One asks, what are they? And the leader has no answers. Although he looks at a cannonball and then looks around, kind of seeing the whole ship for the first time, basically, uh-huh. and seeing, oh, there's some there's some there's some stuff here. Omi-san, uh, expecting this is Omi-san, given that we see him later. This guy's already seeing the numbers. He's seeing some use from this thing. Yeah, that's Omi. Um, cut to a man on a horse, and this is Lord Yoshi Toranga. We've met him. Spencer's hands are out. He's excited. We see him on the screen. What do you think of the casting for Toranga? Uh, he, he's not as fat as I remember from the book, but otherwise the casting, the bearing, he has an immediate gravitas. He has an immediate command. He has an immediate sense that when he walks into a room, that the room is now revolving around him. I think the actor does a wonderful job of that. Well, you say fat, but Taronga had a belly, right? But he wasn't, he, he, like, fat, fat. 100%. He basically was perfectly toned and taunt and then just had a giant dad belly. Yeah, which you would expect from a lord of that age, I would think. Yeah. Um, and anyway, so back to the show. Lord Yoshi Taronga, he's out there with a young kid and his falconing. Uh, Toronaga, by the way. Oh, Toronaga. Um, he's out there with a young kid and his falconing. Um, they are marveling at the bird. He mentions that the bird conceals herself from the sun, conserving energy until the right moment. You never know she's there. Write that down. Write that down. Yeah, exactly. Tornaga looks up and says, so shall we go then? And off they go. I I have to ask for activities you might do in Japan. Would you go do falconry? Um... I would be way more okay with falconry than something that like puts me on the side of a cliff. Like what they do later in this episode, for instance. Fair. Perfectly I tend fair. to, I think if there's like a weakness in me um, with risk assessment, it would probably be animals. I probably am going to get burned by an animal at some point. Cause I just tend to trust other creatures to understand that I'm not out to hurt them. 
Uh, so I would, I would, I would expect a Falcon would would work with me. What, what about you? Would you do this? One hundred percent activity. I would love to see a professional do, and maybe I'll hold the bird for a brief moment. But it's, it, it it seems like something I'd find more enjoyable seeing someone really good do it. Yeah. All right. Well, now I got a thing I got to take you to, right? Because like, it's very difficult for me and my risk tolerance to find something that makes you uncomfortable. Oh no, that's not easy for me to do. So now I found birds something. of prey. I got something. Yeah, we'll take you to uh, do some falconing, falconry. So he says, Look, "Shall we go off then?" A big shot of his party arriving at what looks like a large city, and it looks like we got gates mm-hmm. outside the city. He's Osaka. immediately greeted. We learned it's Osaka Castle. He's told Lord Ashidu. See, all these names I've been saying in my head, I, you got to tell me if I'm uh, You're it. doing great so far. Lord Ishido asks you, uh, is it Shido or Shido? Ishido. Shido. Ask that you confine yourself to your personal quarters. So right away, we get a sense this is not a, a big welcome party. He, he, yeah, he can come in, but he's got, and he's got a place to stay, but he's got to stay there, basically. And I enjoy how kind of baffled the guards are that he's there. It's like, you know... He was required to be here, but they weren't expecting he would actually show up. But here he is. Yeah, I mean, in, in the background here, and we get we get enough of it that we can talk about it here, is Ishido has basically taken over the council in the short term. He's mm-hmm. got the council in his pocket, and he's asked Tornaga to come there. And everybody, I mean, all they're talking about it everywhere. They, they're talking about it in the fishing village. Our, our guy Yabu later is talking about it. Like, this is a trap. Obviously, it's yeah, a trap. He's what the going fuck is Tornaga doing? Right? Yeah, Ishidu is his enemy, and they're, he's against him. Why does Toranaga show up? That is the question that we have to figure out in this episode, maybe the next it, one, is why did Toranaga come? And I love how much they emphasize this, to not, not only to the audience, but every character is asking this question. Even his most trusted right hand, his iron fist, Hiromatsu, is basically saying, uh, I'm here loyally, but why are we here again? I think he answers the question with one quote, and, and we'll, we'll get there when we get there. Yeah. Um, so he looks up. He sees Ishido on the balcony looking up at him. They're surprised he came. Ishido comments, a wise man knows when his time has ended. Now, is there ever, like, all right, let me give you, a, I'm going to give you a couple examples, and you tell me if this is on a level. This is like somebody going, oh, Harry, Harry's never going back to Hogwarts. Or is this like is this like somebody going MJ? No, M- MJ would not be interested in a quick pickup game here to beat your head into this YMCA. He would not want to do that. Like, yeah. is, there, is there a quote indicating somebody understands a man less than Ishido thinking uh, the, that the reason Toranaga has showed up here is because he knows his time is at end? This is a kind of special level of you know us having read the book and knowing something of this character. I had to stop and pace the room for a second of, oh, dude fucked up. Dude does not realize how much he fucked up in terms of this is his, how he feels he has an understanding of his opponent. Well, I mean, you, I mean, the people watching the show, yeah, know Toranaga's not done. Toranaga hasn't given up, right? You can tell just from the from the way he acts, the way he talks about things, the way he is. You're still moving and shaking, moving people around, doing things. They want you to know very quickly in the show. It's a little less clear in the book, but they want you to know pretty early in the show that Toranaga does not see this as his end. He sees this as a step he had to take for now. Listen to what he just said about the bloody falcon and have an understanding of how this man views strategy. Conceals herself from the sun, conserving energy until the right moment. You might never know she's there. So yeah, we go back and... Tornaga is led into Asaka. Beautiful procession. And I love oh, yeah. the camera work 
I love the focuses on clean lines. I love that everything's clean. Like, like I know I'm using clean a lot, but two different meanings there. Well, it's um, important. Clean is actually a very appropriate and important term to emphasize here because there's going to be comparisons drawn later with different worlds. Clavel does a wonderful job in the book of showing you, not telling you, showing you that this society is just much cleaner. It's yeah. just much cleaner. I mean, Blackthorn has it. these memories in his head of like what he lived in. You know, in this fucking stacks in England and, you know, the soot on the ground from the fires and the sewage in the streets and the stuff that they dealt with in 1600. And then you look at how clean and together this is. And it all culminated that that whole thread of, you know, this sort of historical storytelling culminates in Blackthorne saying or uh, Rodriguez saying, hey, Blackthorne, why don't you go up there and look and tell me if you think this is a pile of shit? Yeah, I love that, love that line. There's a line from Blackthorne in the book where he's quoting his grandmother where she says, a bath when you're born and a bath when you die will see you through the pearly gates. And it almost makes the Japanese people in the room vomit just because they can't imagine that kind of utter, utter dirtiness in society. Yeah, I mean, it's it's so much more appealing and they make it appealing in the show and I like that they do that. So um, wonderful set design. We see some shots inside the castle and we see servants putting a kimono on Turanga, uh, Tornaga. Mm-hmm. He's greeted by Hiramatsu, his loyal man, his right hand. Hiramatsu. The casting of Hiramatsu. Can we just take a second? On point. So good. Yeah. It is like, so good. I took one look at that guy and said, yep, that's him. You don't have to introduce him. That's Hiramatsu. Well done. And then, then he spoke and he acted from there and it was even better. It's perfect for that character. And I think it's going to play really well in the show. So he mentions how much he hates Osaka, calls it a shithole. Um, Taranga <laughs> says, in that case, let's be done with it. Um, or Tornaga says, in that case, let's be done with it. So we get a very dramatic scene of Tornaga walking in to sit with the Council of Regents. So he, he's called to the Regents right away. There's no, no rest for the weary. And they're waited for him. They are assembled. This is, it, it's immediately apparent that this is a purposeful event that he's been brought to. So we get a very dramatic scene of Tornaga walking in. Shidu greets him. We see that Tornaga is arranged to sit across from all the other regents. He, it's okay. him. It's almost like he's on trial. It's him and all the rest of them looking at him. And he's like, the first thing out of his mouth is, well, this seating arrangement's new. And they're like, yeah, we think it's appropriate considering the circumstances. And, and, and Lee, tell me, what, what has gotten such a bee in their bonnet right now? They believe that Tornaga has been amassing power against the council. Now, this is in light... Slander. Slander. This is in light of the um, Taika, Taika, Taiko, right? Taiko? The, 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 the Taiko appointed these the Taiko five guys. Taiko died. I'm trying to... No, that, that, yeah. it's, sorry. I'm struggling with... still struggling with pronunciation. It's not the, the, not the issue. Here's he, the Taiko, yes. Taiko, the, okay. The, the ta- Taiko, Taiko died, and then the Taiko's son, who's the heir, is not ready to assume the throne yet. So this is the Council of Regents, right? The regents who rule in the stead of the person who is the heir, who is not of age yet. He is one of the regents, but he they believe... Let's How just go could ahead. they say Ashido this about believes. Him. Ashido believes and has gotten three other people to go along with him. That he has been he has been amassing power against the council. And they explain that he has authorized six marriages. Now when he, they say Ashido references him authorizing six marriages. What does that mean? Does that mean that, does that, mean that uh, our guy uh, 
Toronaga has has married six different people, or what? What is happening here? No, he's play, uh, he is arranging marriages. He is approving of marriages. He is coordinating various marriages between family members and allies go. and everything else to build a base of power. And they're looking at this, going, saying, "Oh, he's trying to say I'm just Lord of the Kanto. I haven't expanded my realm. These are my provinces, and everything's fine." And they're looking at this, going, "Okay." But your coalition of allies has basically doubled in the last few months. They we claim his questions. fief has doubled in size. Do we get a definition of fief here? Fief is we, do. we, we don't we don't officially, and he does draw the distinction that his personal fief has not changed. But fief basically means the territory that he is the feudal lord over, either personally or through various people that are sublords to him, daimyos basically under him. And so the the real distinction here is that Tornaga is saying, "No, I've got this this area. Mm-hmm. It's still the same area." Ashido's saying, yeah, but there are these other areas that have now married into you that you will have some claim over, that that you clearly have an ability to operate in free movement in those areas. And that's that's a real threat to us because now your fief has doubled in size. I don't get the sense here, if I'm just a show watcher only, that Toronaga believes what Ashido is saying. Um I don't think Ishido believes that Tornaga believes what he's saying, right? Like, it, it's pretty clear that Tornaga's reaction is, what are you talking about? What is the issue here? What's going on, brother? Yeah, it's 100% the read you get from the scene. Tornaga's like, okay, why do you, what do you actually want to talk about? It's like, the, these are the games that we all play in terms of building power and coalescing influence. Why have I actually been called here today? Yeah, and so... He does say, he does try to assure them, he, he knows this is, this, is, this is performative. This is something he yes. has to say. He knows it's not going to stop the conversation. He says, look, I'm the Lord of Kano, um, and I will never be the first to break the peace. Spencer, put it on a t-shirt. Never be the first to break the peace. hundred percent. Spencer, will you're a lawyer. You're good with words. What does that mean? Never be the first to break the peace. What does that mean? What? Uh, well, let's define how, what, how break the peace works here. First, this, first, this this, this feels Never. like it's easy enough to decide that in terms of how break the peace occurs, or when that occurs, or what ask required to do so. That could be interpreted very broadly. I had a long training day at work about how to read particular contracts. Um, this would be a sentence we'd focus on here. Never be the first to break the peace. Ashido is looking at him oddly. Says that's strange because just this morning. The heir's mother was taken to Toronaga's castle. Oh, the, here we go. The, the Lady Ochiba? No, what's happened? Ochiba has been. Now, I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be breaking news with Ashido. You ready? Come on, man. <laughs> Put it on the Chiron. Yep. Uh, heir to the throne's mother brutally captured and kidnapped and taken. <laughs> okay, we we have got we have gotten the one America news read on this particular situation. Go on from here. <laughs> and he, his read here is that what what has happened is Tornaga has taken the heir's mother against her will. This is what Ashido believes. This is what yeah. he's espousing here. Taken her prisoner for the sole reason to ensure Toranaga is safe during this visit to the castle. So they cannot see these all these people are all so politically motivated and self-interested necessarily paranoid that they cannot imagine that Toranaga came here knowing that Ishido had moved against them that he was on he was in threat without something. So they think that him taking the lady Ochiba the taking her and uh, and having him her in his castle is like an insurance policy for him to actually right. do this visit today. Wait. That's how that's how Ishido has viewed this entire thing. And, and I, I love Toranaga's response to that. Of where I think I wrote down the quote: "This is a time of peace, Lord Ishido. 
the lady is no more a hostage in my castle than I am in this one. Oh, so good. It, 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 it actually quiets the room for a second. If we're just kind of have to acknowledge for a second, you bloody bastard, that was witty. That was really good because you, uh, in order for him to now refute that, he has to refute the idea that it, because there's this dance that's going on. And I have to say that like, as good as this scene is, and it is good, it, it there's no way they, I don't, I don't think they could visually do it as well as Clavel does it in about the 20 pages that this is being done in the books, because yeah. there is this like, tension but no one can say the thing and this is this comes up so much in the book and i hope it comes up a lot in the show Mm -hmm. is that there's a there's a million elephants in every room always and 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 this one is that ashido and the council is now against tornaga and they but they can't say it that because so much of it is about social custom and what is proper and ensuring that you don't step out of line with all of these rules of decorum. So they're not able to say the thing they want to say, which is like, hey, we're about to fucking kill you if we can get the, the Lady Ochiba back. And I, it's part of the reason I love that we get Rodriguez introducing the concept of the three hearts at the end of the episode, because it is so damn important to understand how these characters operate and how this world operates. Because as we kind of see as the scene plays out, in the book it's made more explicit, the fact Ishido says the quiet thing out loud is an intentional provocation that gets a samurai to act. It's just so unheard of. He said the quiet part out loud that it actually designed to stimulate that kind of hostile response. That's exactly what he wanted to do, right? He said, let me put it differently. The council has voted to demand the lady's return under penalty of impeachment. That time has come to expose those traitors who wish to usurp the heir's power. Uh, low, uh, low born, high born, even uh, Minowara like yourself. He calls he out ju- the four who voted with him. Which is a sacrilege. That man just casually associated one of the, like, you know, epic line noble families with being downtrodden Edda traitors. That son of a bitch. Yeah, he, but yeah, he did. He, this would be in 1976 saying, and like a Kennedy, like you. You know, it's like, you whoa, motherfucker. Whoa. Why'd you even bring that into it? It's like even more offensive. And at this point, Ishido elicits the reaction that he wants, which is he wants one of you Tornaga's men to get upset, which to happens. Act up. And he does. And he gets upset. He says, he can't, I can't, he stands up. I'm going to go ahead and translate for you because I speak a lot of really good Japanese. You ready? Go, go on, man. I cannot let this shit fly, homie. You have got to back the fuck up and sit down or I am going to break your face. You, you, you think for a second I'm not going to speak for my bro right here? He ain't saying shit, but I'm going to speak for him it's right now. It's happening. Me and you, right now, Ishido. That's kind of what what happens. But and, with the, and he so, starts to draw his fucking sword. I'm less interested in the hothead. Yeah. Who is upset. Not this the is hot, a fairly... The is a tool for two different people. Fairly typical reaction that you might expect, right? What I'm interested in is that we get Tornaga's face while this happens. And he just sort of drops as if he's like disappointed. Yes. But he can't like. Can't show it. There's this small hint of a smirk. And like that is what we get later when he's talking to Hiramatsu. Um, Because he, you know, as much as he is, he knows what's happening. That Ishidu wants one of his guys to act up so that he can say this line that he says later. Mm -hmm. Um but from a certain measure, he's a little bit proud that the, of this course guy he ha- has had the cojones to stand up. It's stupid. He's basically voided his status of samurai. He's going to die a painful death right now, less painful than the book, sure. But in the moment, he's still proud of this guy. Spencer, there has got to be a time in your thirty-seven year relationship with your 
uh, partner <laughs> with me <laughs> that that you that 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 there's been a situation where somebody is baiting you and your partner says hey shut the fuck up and you're like ugh like i wish you i wish you just hadn't played into it but you're still proud that the person showed you know in this case it's bravery maybe in my example bravery is not the right word but showed you know some guts and stood up for what? you or what they believe in you're- it's it it happens in life right like it's it's a a wonderful reaction by Tornago where he understands the implications. He understands the game that's being played, but still on a very basic level, he's like, yeah, that guy's loyal to me and I appreciate it. And, and also you now knowing my partner increasingly well over the last few years. Yeah. She's gone full honey badger on some bitches. Yeah. That's what bring been... it up. I'm sure it's happened for sure. Absolutely. And I'm sure you're like, I really appreciate it, but here's all the different mechanisms, right? Like, and that's <laughs> kind of what Tornago is left dealing with. So, he tells, this guy's uh, name is uh, Tadayoshi, and he tells Tadayoshi to sit down. And what's what's great is this back and forth where the guy goes, I just, I sorry, bro, I just cannot fucking listen to this dude insult you. And he goes, insults? How dare you imply Lord Ashido to insult me? Continuing to box Ashido in. Because yeah. by not acknowledging that Ashido insulted him, he continues to put handcuffs around what Ashido can and can't say. Mm-hmm. Great fucking response. Toriyashi sits down, asks permission to commit seppuku. Spencer, what is that? Uh, seppuku is the ritual act of honorable suicide. Uh, in terms of, d- depending on the circumstances in this case, uh, trying to basically cleanse yourself of shame and exit in a controlled, measured fashion. Let me let me let me come in off the top rope with my guy Blackthorn. Um, there is no such thing as honorable suicide. Uh, I, I believe an entire culture may disagree with you in this setting. Well, you know what? My name's John Blackthorne. I'm one man, and I'm here to tell you all you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> let's return. Let's return to this point later. <laughs> so, um, one thing that is really interesting uh, that that goes through the books that that is it's covered enough here in episode one. I feel comfortable talking about it openly. Yeah, is that while this notion of seppuku is like honorable and it's like something that like there's it's like these decision tree, social decision tree, where like a bunch of the different alleyways in that decision tree lead to seppuku. Like it's a real option for a lot of people based on how how certain things go. Our guy, Toronaga, not a fan, does not like this practice. And it's clear. He he makes that clear in this episode and it's pretty clear in the book. Yeah. We, we, we get it repeated from him on several times. He, he frames it the same way in this episode that he does not appreciate a waste of resources or a waste of people. And he view, views, views unnecessary suicides as an example of that. And so we see two characters here in this episode that are longing for suicide with Tornaga actively preventing them from doing so. He's Stannis. No. He's Stannis Baratheon. We don't, we don't like to waste men. We're not going to do that. There's no reason. To, like, it's not because of this great love I have for each individual people, although he might love one of these characters eventually. Like, yeah. it, it's... Or, or multiple of them. But he, it, that's not really the point. The point is... Even if he has personal feelings or not personal feelings, he does not want to waste resources, period. And so, like, even if you're some, like, numbskull, like Toriyashi, he doesn't, he's not down with you just killing yourself. Uh, and let, let, let's have it said for the record, this guy's a real numbskull. Heart may be in the right place. What? Real damn numbskull. Spencer, don't spoil the books. I'm not spoiling anything. The guy's exiting <laughs> before this episode is done. He's even more of a numbskull here. I keep saying books because it's 1,300 page tome or whatever the hell it is. It's one book, but it feels like multiple books. Trust me. Um, yeah. So that 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 is one of my favorite parts of this is that any like and that's by the way in, in these types of stories like this is always something I'm super fascinated with, which is 
when you have a culture that has these these cultural norms and these barriers and these like these lines on the road, you know, where there's the there's the ditch on the other side if you go past it. I love the leader that just doesn't like that has flagrant disregard for some of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that might be a little strong with with Tornaga's position here, but I just enjoy when a leader pokes and questions what? at these things that are embedded beliefs in society like this idea that seppuku is honorable and it's something that you should do based on you know these different outcomes of whatever situation you're in he pushes back on that in like a really like a real way what? and that dynamic is something I, I would love to see play out more i like 100%, that a lot 100 i think the show the show's even that is definitely the aspect of character i think the show is even focusing more on so i think it's something they definitely want us to pay attention to ashido says what's done is done though i must say this childish outburst is typical of your clan and an insult to the taiko's proud legacy son of a bitch you have seven days to release the heir's mother from Edo, and then we will vote on your fate <laughs> I, I i joined the books too the tornagon even has the additional point that you know she's actually at my castle visiting her sister because her sister married my family and her sister is pregnant in labor giving you're birth. throwing the, you're throwing this shit at me right now right and, and i never got the understanding in the book that just happened to have happened right yeah like she just she just happened to be visiting. The, this is not something that Tornaga fucking did, it, like or planned or anything. Well, she it, just happened to be visiting the cap the it, castle. It's a key thing, a key aspect of this character. They're already playing out in this episode. No one's ever certain what Tornaga's doing, and whether it's intentional or whether there's a plan. Everyone's kind of a couple steps behind in terms of what this guy, what's in this guy's head at any any given moment. Right. Not the last time I'm going to ask a question phrased in that way. Yeah. <laughs> like where I'm still, I, I've read the book. I've, I'm watching the show. I'm still a little confused if that. <laughs> You're if, not alone, if, sir. If the mother of the heir went to go visit, uh, you know, her daughter-in-law, right? It's like um, everyone's now left to ponder. Can Toranaga just make somebody go into labor early for this exact timing? I don't actually know. No, it's, it's her sister, right? It's, it's her, her sister, sister yeah. that she's visiting. It's his daughter-in-law, right? Yeah, um yes yes because it's it, her because yeah it's her sister who married his his son yeah one of his one of i think it's one of his eldest sons yeah yeah okay there you go um tornaga is released cut to tornaga walking uh working with some pigeons shout out shout out mike tyson he's I, working with some pigeons but, but you know it's just nice that he has hobbies i can't imagine that is any practical role in terms of his you know cause or what he's doing in any given day Hiramatsu is with him. We established that Todayashi is married to Hiramatsu's favorite grandchild, Fuji. Mm-hmm. Hey, I love I love the Hiramatsu. It's the little things. I love the Hiramatsu is like blatant about who his favorite is. Enjoy that. <laughs> enjoy that a lot. Yeah, I'm, I'm a, all here for that. I, I enjoy that he's blatant about who his favorite is to the point that everyone knows it. It's like, yeah. he, he's not just like to her, you're my favorite. It's like, no, he writes, he writes a blog that identifies in ranking who his favorite grandchildren are. No problems with saying it. Tornaga says, uh, I'll see to it, she lives. He says, the boy was reckless. He has only himself to blame. And this is when Tornaga says, he was brave. And I don't approve of all this pointless death. Shout the fuck out. Can I, can I put that on a t-shirt? I don't approve of all this pointless death. Mangum talks. I, it, I, I'm just having a theorem thrown out right there. I think Tornaga might be kind of your dude. You might be earning a bit of your loyalty. I fucking like him. I almost like him as much as I like Hiramatsu. <laughs> like Hiramatsu is the best. Wait, we got a few more scenes of he, uh, he was brave. And uh, Hiramatsu says, uh, then why are we still here? Trapped in this castle by um, 
The bureaucrats who want us dead, as soon as they have the heir's mother back, they'll vote to kill us all. So this is interesting, right? Because if the mother just happened to be visiting, that seems to be the thing that's saving his life right now. Yeah, very convenient. Right? So um, it's difficult. It's difficult to say. But it doesn't, like, when you, I guess the the issue is that maybe we'll get her here, so maybe I shouldn't talk too much about it, but it... When we, yeah, I think we'll get the mother. I don't think she's going to come off like somebody in handcuffs. No, if, they, if they're <laughs> so portraying, it's difficult. If they're portraying the Lady Ochiba right, I cannot imagine that character ever in handcuffs. Just like I can, she would just stare down anyone trying. So it's really confusing, like what, what, how how he ended up in this position, right? You don't you don't think the way it's played out that he would have just walked in there without that cover. But at the same time, you know, I, I think my my argument to that with myself because I'm arguing with myself now Yeah, is that I don't think Ishido was ready to kill him period. And I think he's, he's using this thing as a, this is where the reason we're not doing it yet, but I don't think he's ready to pull the trigger period at this point. Now he, I, I, he may get there, but I don't think at this point. So I think he was going to find some reason to delay the vote. That's, that's my yeah. final, boom, final theory. Put it in, put it in. It seems like uh, Lord Ishido is trying to work within the appearance of the law, that he is the representative of order and he is dealing with a rebel. So he has to go through the, the steps and the requirements and the votes and everything else because he needs to appear as if it is within the full confines of the Tycho's will. Because he's thinking about after. Yes. Because he's thinking about how can he rule after, right? Because I, I think that one of the things that we're, we understand right away and we get it through Yabu's conversation with Omi in the later on is that these are the two there's, there's the council of regents are all powerful, but these are the two most powerful lords, Ishido and Tornaga. hundred uh, percent. This is when Tornaga kind of comes back to Hiramatsu. And this is maybe, maybe where we get a little insight to why he came to the castle it, in the first place. I think this is him showing a bit of his second heart as it were. <laughs> Sorry, friend. If we go to war, four armies against one, we lose. I must remain here, which is why you must go to Ajiro in my place. Hiramatsu seems confused. You're a prisoner to your enemies. Days from dead. You want me to look into a barbarian ship? And Toramaka's like, that's exactly what I'd like to do. I appreciate you agreeing to do it. I will see you later. Thank you. Don't worry. I already packed a lunch for you. He, yeah, that's exactly it. You got it, Hiramatsu. That's exactly what I want you to do. Toranaka comments as he's walking out. Hey, uh, maybe you made a mistake back in me instead of the bureaucrats who want us dead. Hiramatsu, this is I'm saying some shit you'd say to me. Yeah, yeah, the thoughts crossed my mind. Yeah, and then they smirk at each other. And he leaves. <laughs> you, I, I love how apparent their relationship is from just the word go on the show. And again, it's a testament to the quality of these two actors in this in the scene that's painted between them. They maintain a relationship which you can't imagine either of them have with many other people in terms of their closeness and their friendship. I, it's it's years one. This is not a thing that you meet someone and six months later you have this relationship. This is they've they've won this relationship over years and this level of trust over years. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Sarah, I have to ask, how's Blackthorn doing at this given moment? Well, we get a beautiful bro- bro- uh, drone shot of Ajiro, and we see mm-hmm. Omi, a local samurai. We think we saw him before. He. Um, he's seen the ship. Very interested. But- he mentions that his uncle and daimyo is coming, and he wants. His daimyo uncle wants to see it in person. His daimyo uncle uh, is called Yabu. 
Yeah, it's interesting. There's a few of the names they shortened, and there's a few of the names they they, they lengthened. And Yabu's one of the names they made longer. But we're just going to keep calling him Lord Yabu, which is so we don't so we know him from the book. Um, but in terms of explaining feudal structure, um, Yabu is the daimyo of the province called Izu, uh, and one of the villages in that is called Enjuro. And uh, Omi, his nephew, is a samurai who maintains his own personal subfief within Izu, the village of, An- of Enjuro which is not particularly yeah. valuable or not particularly relevant. But as we see when he's talking with his mom, they have ambition and they're trying to now use the fact that he's getting to meet his uncle to maybe expand his control. It's not a lot different than like most political systems, except yeah. except that it all rolls up to absolute power, right? Like we have uh, cities that have mayors and states that have governors and that, you know, we have a president, right? But the president doesn't appoint every single governor and every single mayor. Like this is... <laughs> This is the difference, but it's not too different in the sense that you have all these different locales that are broken out with different governing structures. And as far as I know, despite certain conspiracy theories online, I don't think Biden has the authority to make somebody commit suicide. Nor would I think necessarily many people would agree to do it in our culture. Yeah, but not only do they have the power to do that, they'll just cut your head off, which we'll see later. (laughs) So question for you about the word daimyo. Daimyo, now I understand that means you control a small portion of the desert planet Tatooine. It does also do that too. Yes, they borrowed that terminology for Star Wars. (laughs) How much did that piss you off as a fan of this? (gasps) Just a bit. crazy. (laughs) Why is Japanese culture suddenly appearing in this? God damn. I, I know why. I, the damn creator of the show is just a massive weeb in terms of his love of Japanese culture and anime. So he calls himself, the, the job of the hut was the daimyo of Tatooine. No, it wasn't. That is new and I hate it. <laughs> I know that you do. Cut to the ship. <laughs> Blackthorn and his crew are talking about it. They're talking about things. I'll tell you this about Blackthorn. Show Blackthorn anyway. He's the, uh, he's the Lee of the group. He's the guy telling everybody, he, look, it's going to be okay. We're going to be all right. Every, I, look, I know you guys think the world's ending. It's not going to We're in good shape, actually. You look, you smell like shit. I smell like shit. We have scurvy. We haven't eaten in six months. And uh, we got some Japanese overlords here that are about to cut all our heads off or burn us alive or boil us alive. But let me tell you something. We got this under control. We're in a good spot. We're in a good yeah, spot. Th- th- this is one of the moments I was like, okay, they're taking a very different read on this character than I expected. Of where I can't imagine Book, book Blackthorn giving this kind of epic, encouraging speech. He's yeah, because more... it's so foolish, right? Because he, 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 he actually says, we're in a good spot. Like, we're in a good place. And it's like, you definitely aren't. Now, you might not be, you might not be a person who wants to give up. And I, I respect that. Like, and that is, that is consistent with Book Blackthorn. But this idea that you're actually what? in a good spot, I don't know, let, brother. Let, let, me, let me give you a different depiction of leadership. Leadership on the show. And they, I think they're just going a distinctly younger version of this character. We even have Rodriguez yeah, sure. call him out as being a kid which is very different because him and Rodriguez are about the same age in the books. Um, but show, show, show Blackthorn. Epic speech to try to inspire the crew, full of optimism, all kinds of gumption, ambition awaits. Book Blackthorn, same situation. Has two guys arguing in front of them, knocks their heads against a wall, and then makes the crew that are down there clean the room and reorganize it so everybody's more comfortable, and suddenly the situation's more tolerable. Different styles of leadership and focus. Yeah, and you know, obviously one is more for the screen, right? Hunt, Hunt, Uh, again, I actually don't, I'm not really complaining about Show Blackthorn. He's just so distinctly different. I'm kind of curious where they're going to go with him. I think it's perfectly fine. It's just a a different way of portraying our protagonist. I think it's fair to say that we both liked this first episode. I think that if I had to start poking some holes in it, I didn't like this speech. I thought it was silly. 
it could suck me out of it a little bit. It's like this is so um, delusional. Yeah. The idea that you you're in a good spot here that it's it's made me laugh a little bit. Uh, it, it, I don't think they were going for laughter. <laughs> I, I, do, I don't think they are either. I think some aspects of the characterization of Blackthorn and some aspects of the pacing and the jump cuts, I think were my only real complaints about the episode. And we'll see more of those as they go. Yeah. So cut to Toriyashi, and he is standing in front of Fuji, who has a knife and her baby. <laughs> Hi, Fuji. What you doing with the knife, dear? It's a tough scene, right? Because what we learn is that the child has been ordered uh, to be killed. And, and, and ch- for, change, change from the books. The reason the child is dying, at least that they're framing, the dad volunteered to have the kid die along with him to banish the shame. Yeah, so he, he did say that because Toriyashi said in that other scene, he said, I'll, I'll end my line, basically. Yeah. Now, I think that the implication here is that Tornaga stepped in to be like, nah, you, you, we, we need you, but it, you know, he has something has to happen for this outburst. Yeah. So that it doesn't look like his folks are just running roughshod to give Ishido even more ammunition to move things faster than they're already moving. So the baby's got to go, right? Yeah. And Fuji is like, like a lot of people who have kids um, are like, well, I'll die, I'm going to die too. If you can kill this baby, you can kill me too. Yeah. And we get a new character, Mariko. Uh, which, I'm, I'll be ask you before I offer my comment. What do you think of the actress and the portrayal of Mariko in the first episode? It is fine it's okay but i had a like book mariko's older and i had a very specific idea of her that this is not so it's going to take some getting used to it's interesting too i had a kind of similar thought i think the actress does a good job i think she has a she has she definitely has a similar kind of presence that they're trying to go to with taranaga but i think you hit the key point she's younger and i think that's just in parallel to blackthorn of where they've made both of these very parallel characters like 10 years younger, I think, than their book counterparts. And by the way, the the actor who plays Tornaga is younger than the Tornaga character. They've, they, they've trusted him up to be older in the show, but that guy is not like 65. Like, he's not that old. Yeah, because Tor- Tornaga is like his late 50s, early 60s. You're right. I forgot about that. So they've done a, they've done a couple of things here, right? But yeah, this, this character, uh, Mariko, she does have a similar presence to what we get with book Mariko. And she steps in and... You talk about leadership. She shows leadership right away. Like she talks this lady down. But the, my, what I'm so impressed by, and as someone who like, you know, cosplays as a leader occasionally, yeah, like, I want to hold on to every bit of is the first thing she did in this fucking society where people get their heads cut off and commit seppuku and like, there's all these norms and rules. The very first thing she did is show empathy. She said, "I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. This is happening." I'm sorry this is happening to you. And you can see Fuji start to break as soon as she hears that, that somebody is empathizing with her, understands, and it's just acknowledging this is a shit situation. Like, I'm not going to be able to talk to you and convince you that it's great that we're going to kill your kid right now. This is not a good situation. I'm sorry. Like, seems small, but a big deal. Well, it's interesting, too. I think that in some ways it's two different but parallel sorries here, because one of them is talked about a little bit more later, of where she's apologizing for what is just an overall shit situation. She's also apologizing that she can't kill herself. And that's coming from a weird, twisted place of empathy that, sh- that Mariko also can't. And it's and so, it, and, something Tornaga hits heavily later. Those definitions are, are sequential. The first yeah. thing, when she first says sorry, she's clearly talking about the kid. Mm-hmm. 
and then she start when she keeps towing she, her second sorry is is wrapped around the conversation Duty. about how do you have meaning how do you have life after this and that's when she says basically because he's ordered you to live like so we really get a sense of how embedded and important duty and honor is that that can actually for this lady in this moment, at least for now in the short term, can sub in enough that she can put one foot in front of the other after a kid's murdered. It, it, it's notable that we briefly get to see inside the head of her husband um, in the last moments we see of him. And one of his last thoughts that we get of him is that the most final thing of a true samurai is duty, is following the instructions and loyalty to your liege lord. That is everything. That is the basis of, of Bushido. And it's what they are bound to follow. Yeah, so she's able to get the knife away from Fuji. And as they presumably kill the child, thank God. We don't get a big, long scene of that like we get the guy boiling. Good Lord. Um, <sighs> that was rough. I was, yeah, I was I not expecting they'd go into full detail of seeing that guy's skin slough off. Didn't love it. Didn't love it. Uh, I'll say, but they didn't. They didn't show us the kid, kid get killed. Yeah. But I, the kid gets killed. Like that, that yeah. does happen. So, but what we see is that the whole situation took a lot out of Mariko, right? Because 100%. we get this like ten second scene where she just basically collapses, and you know this, this kind of like, oh God, I've had enough, and I'm just, I'm just out of it. Like that, that's not a thing in this culture. That is not socially acceptable to just say, you know. Yeah, I've had a really stressful day. I'm just going to veg out. Like, <laughs> you're not going to get a lot of that here. So this was clearly a moment, a private moment that she was having where her true emotions about that scene shine through. 100%. I think I think she briefly also pulled... Is, is this the scene also where she pulls out her cross, too, for a brief moment? Yeah, she does. And, and that they want us to know that, and we get that with that conversation with Tornado later, that she is a Christian. Mm-hmm. She's a Christian. A Catholic uh, Christian. Thank you. You got me, me to it. Always clarify that. It, it's the show wants us to make a big distinction of it right now. And I'm going to keep doing it. Yeah, it's not a real big distinction in my head, clearly. But uh, yeah, I'll do my best. Uh, we see the whole situation took a lot out of her. So back to Ajiro and the uncle Yabu is there. He arrives and he's got you know, he's got some men with him too. Um, he's got a posse. I I, I, I got to say we don't get to see it inside his head the same degree we do with Yabu, but I like this guy, this actor, in terms of his portrayal of this guy. The man's got some swagger. He does, and just a little, like, he's like, he's like 12% clown. (laughs) There there is a sense of humor associated with him, yeah. There's a little bit of clownish to Yabu, but he's not a complete clown. Like, he's certainly not majority clown. He's not a comic character we see as he boils a guy alive, but he has a wry sense of humor associated with him. Yeah, and he arrives, and then men come to the ship where Blackthorn and his men are holed up. Uh, John tries to come up alone, but the language issue becomes an issue now, seriously, and results in everybody coming to blows because they are confused. Because John is saying, I come up alone, and he's saying, everybody comes up. Um, So this is Obi who's talking to John. Uh, Mm. Obi deals with this by throwing fish guts down into the hole of the ship, exactly what happened on your premises this week. (laughs) Heck of a move. I got to say, I don't, look, I'm not going to spoil it for people. I don't like Omi. I'm not hanging out with Omi. Omi's not your dude? I'm not going to dinner. No, he, we're not going to. Uh, we're not d- hanging d- out. Does he perhaps piss you off? Uh, from time to time, but I will say that the move of you guys are acting up down there. I and by the way, I don't give a fuck about the ship really. So I'm just going to pour a bunch of fucking rotting fish guts down there, and <laughs> that's how I'm going to punish you. Is a I, heck of a move. <laughs> I, I got to say, the fish guts button that gets people moving. Hey, yeah, absolutely. You got to think. You know, you should think about that when you're practicing the laws. Like, well, you know, we we could. Work yep. for a settlement. We could. Hey, look, they already they, look. They were already doing this with the Godfather. <laughs> it's in the your, fish, right? Your, your Honor is my next exhibit. Fish awful. Perhaps the <laughs> per, perhaps we'd like to rule in this case before it stinks to high heaven. 
<laughs> he gets pulled up. He tells Omi that if that's how he treats guests, it pissed on your whole goddamn country. Now, Blackthorn, he's my guy. He does a lot of really smart things. This isn't one of them. No, 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 no. Let's put this in the negative column. This is called feeling out your... This is, you know what this is? This is like uh, you don't know who you're boxing and you just kind of come out a little soft and get punched right in the mouth right away. And that gets your hands up. The the left and rights go up near the cheeks after that. This is so dumb in the book. In the the book, the priest, the priest that we see briefly later is translating. This is so dumb. The priest who hates Blackthorn, who wants him to die, takes a moment to say... Are you really sure you want me to translate that? That's epically stupid. And he says, yeah, do it. So he tells Omi this, but, you know, and, and I don't even think we get a translation. of the show. I, 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 he I, just says it. And I think that it, Omi gets the gist of it and then knocks him down and pisses on his head. So there's that. Yeah, he does a full on groin grab. And that's enough. to That, that is a universal language right there. That, that message is going to get across in any culture on this planet. Because Omi like, understands. <laughs> honor is so obviously important in this Japanese assignment, but it's also like in a weird way, honor's pretty important to him too. Because Blackthorn never Cry. forgets getting he never forgets getting his head pissed on. Like that uh, is something that sticks with that fucker. Yeah, we, in his head when this is happening, he is swearing to God that he is someday going to make Obi suffer for this. He, he gets so, like I mean, look, would I like getting my head pissed on? Absolutely not. Please, I don't recommend it. Please, nobody knock me down and piss on my head, please. And that, you know, isolate that if you'd like and stick it on TikTok, please. <laughs> I would not like somebody to piss on my head today. That would be really we great if that would not happen. into showers. Understood. <laughs> I don't want my head to get pissed on. I will say this. In his position, I would I would let that go. I, I, abs- I know myself well enough to know that was my mistake. I came out too hot. <laughs> that was way too hot. And I got what I, you know, maybe not deserve, but I certainly uh, caused that. So I'm going to, I'm going to just let that one go. Blackthorn, he's not me. Not a bit. Nope. Not in this regard anyway. So we've established, I don't want to get my head pissed on. And, but if it does happen in a really bad situation, I will forget. You will take, you, you, you will take the piss. Yeah, I will take the. I appreciate you working in golden shower. Take the piss. You're going all kinds of angles with this bit. I appreciate trying, it. Man. In the course of this, he starts working directly with someone who can uh, speak a small, small amount of Portuguese. Right. This, this, this is Murray. He's not named in the sh- in the show, but this is Murray, the village headman, and so also as we see later, spy for spy for Toronaga. So there, let's do a second to talk about how they're doing language in the show. Yes. So, Tor- it, it, so Blackthorn speaks English. And we're also going to get English when Portuguese is being spoken so that we can understand it because Blackthorn understands Portuguese. However, all the Japanese will be in Japanese with subtitles. That's what I'm getting. Yeah, our translation convention is, does Blackthorn understand it? It's in English. Because he's not hes not even speaking English. He's speaking Dutch to his crew. Just to add that extra rig into things, he's the one English guy there. So he's speaking Dutch to his crew, English, English to random people. He's speaking Portuguese and Spanish at times, too, to various other people that he meets. And it's all in English for our benefit. Yeah. So that's kind of what's going on here. Now, I, I did get some people reaching out to me on on X, on Twitter, mm-hmm. on X. I, I, I don't, you know, we keep the, the X account. Spencer has no idea. He couldn't even find it if he wanted to. What's but X? I run it. <laughs> I run it. I hate X. I hate it. I don't like it at all. But you know what? Podcast professional. I keep the account open so that we can communicate with fans. Fans have reached out to me and said, I don't hate talking to fans. I just hate the platform. Sure, yeah. They have come out and said, we're with you. We're going to follow you and Spencer on this deal. 
But I am not happy that I'm watching a show where 50% of this is subtitles. Like I have heard that a lot in the last couple of days. What do you say to that? I, I, I understand completely. I think this is an, going to be an interesting show for... This is basically a costume drama. It, in many ways it is. Um, that is a genre that I appreciate and watch many shows in. But I think it is a category of particularly Eastern costume drama that a large portion of the audience base is probably not going to be as familiar with. And this is going to be an aspect that they're going to hopefully eventually come to terms with. Because this is probably not going to change. They'll be curious to see whether they keep the translation convention they're doing going into the future and how the ways that might change. Because, you the, you know, this show's probably going to be all subtitles. like uh, A large portion of it. <laughs> pretty much. I mean, it, it'll be about 80% subtitles. So uh, if do, you're, you know... Do, just Sorry. be thankful they've used some translation convention instead of us getting also Dutch, Portuguese, Spanish, and Latin at times, too, before we're done in terms of Western languages. Yeah, so I'll also say this, that, you know, because everybody's really worried about how this affects Lee, right? Because, like, people are worried about me specifically, obviously, in the world over here. Something. Um, me sometimes. The, occasionally. The most difficult show to do notes of I have had. To <laughs> The most difficult show to do the notes for the recap by far. It took me like over three hours because I'm having to read on the screen and that, yeah, I mean, it's a mess. It's not easy. So look, if you're, if you're struggling with the subtitles, I would say I'm always a fan of looking for the positive in something that's frustrating. And I would say that you're probably frustrated with it because you're not used to looking at the screen that often. Like you, you're used to playing with your phone, doing something else in the, in the background. Right. And this is forcing you to pay attention, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think it, I I understand the struggle. It's something to adapt to. It's something when I've ever like recommended anime to people it is something that it that has been their earliest and most most difficult to surmount difficulty. If you can overcome it, it will open up a different way of experiencing the content in a way that I think you might appreciate. But Rod, well, just keep on the stay on the bike. Rod with us. Look, folks, Spencer's excited. Like, <laughs> we're not going to get this very often, so hang around. I think it's going to be I, fun. I'm watching this whether anybody else is, people. But I would love, I would love to have a discussion with other with 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 the broader world on the subject. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's almost like you would like to be able to communicate directly with our fans or something. Uh, yeah, if only I had a means of doing that. I've heard there's this thing involving maybe like a bird from back in the past that just makes um, like noises, and that's how you talk to people. But I, I don't really understand. It sounds not, vaguely biblical. Like, <laughs> like he's in a good mood right now. It's not happening, folks. It's, it's not going to happen. He will not be on our social. If you're talking to Mango Talks on social, you're talking to me. I, I, um, I got I got a notification today that someone actually checked my LinkedIn profile, and I was my immediate response was, I still have a LinkedIn profile. Yeah, he's yeah, that's right. Spencer thinks like LinkedIn is something that's like, oh, that's too that's too social media for him. It's not it's just not happening. You're not going to get him on any of this stuff. Now, I will translate um, much like our guy, our Portuguese guys uh, in the show. Now, if you want something to get to Spencer, give it to me. I'll text it to him. It'll go in the inbox. He'll get me a response in a couple of days, but I will get you a response from Spencer eventually. Now, I've had people doing that. And um and you have you have kindly provided responses to them, but that's the main feedback I've gotten so far is people saying they were frustrated with the subtitles and people saying didn't know this was happening, wouldn't have watched it otherwise. Now that excites hey. me because that means we're bringing some people to the show, a new job, and I do, and I do think they'll enjoy it because it does look to be well done. So uh, back to the show, as Blackthorn is being walked um, through the streets, someone questions him. Um why a Christian is being held. And another man walks up and stands in front of Blackthorn 
Dude, what? I, I watched this scene six times. Please explain to me what the fuck was going on. So here's what I saw. Mm-hmm. Blackthorn's being walked through. And a, a guy says, why is somebody who's a Christian being held? Comes up to Blackthorn and they start kibitzing. Another guy, out of nowhere, stands in front of him, crosses arms in front of his chest and gets his head cut off. What the fuck happened? Uh, best as I can tell, um, and this is a way of portraying something that happens in the book that helps me a little bit. Um, at least in the show, those two guys are talking. A different guy who is also Christian walks up to Blackthorn and makes the sign of the cross. And Blackthorn seems like for a second he's going to replicate it, even though it's, he's not Catholic and the sign of the cross doesn't mean the, the kind of same way. But it seems almost as like he's trying to have a sense of kinship. He's trying to show that kind of connection of, oh, is this guy a Christian? Let, let, let me acknowledge him as such. Let me respect him as such. And the mere fact in the show that he is interfering with their with their procession, he's slowing down the line, is enough of a crime he's immediately decapitated by one of the samurai retainers that they're escorting Blackthorn. So that's all it took. It took him to stand in the way of the captor for three seconds. And... <laughs> Omi turned around and cut his head off. Now, I do want to give... I got some notes for Blackthorn, if you would allow me to send some notes his way. Please, yes. Um, I know that when you are in the Netherlands, England, let's say you've been to France. Sure. Um, you believe that Protestant and Catholic are two different religions. I know that you believe that. But right now, it's the same fucking thing, dude. You have got to get on. <laughs> you have got to get that in your head. Yeah. It's in, in this country. It's the same fucking thing. To you. And this is again why Blackthorn's plans are really not well formulated because he's explicitly <laughs> told his crew we need to fake that we're Portuguese. <laughs> Key aspect of that, my dude, is pretending to be Catholic. You can do this, man. But he he can't maintain the fiction for five minutes. This is a very no. young, high, hothead of a Blackthorn we're getting here. Because he keeps saying, he even, because like, he's saying this stuff and not every, nobody around him could understand it, but he's like, you fucking, you know, like Jesuit, you know, he's saying all these yeah. like negative things about Catholics. And I'm like, my brother, you yeah. have got to get it Come in on. your head. Come that on. That is the closest thing you've got to a friend right now. You, that, that is, that is bad. That is a bad take. Um, so anyway, guy cuts his he cuts the guy's head off, uh, and that's the only who does that. Quickly, doesn't think about it. Cut to Yabu, who is looking at Blackthorn. It's raining outside, and they're using a Catholic priest, uh, Portuguese Catholic tre- priest, to translate. Uh, a young Jesuit, as it were. And they argue first about who God is, because <laughs> Blackthorn's like, no, nah, not that idiot. He doesn't know. He doesn't know what God is. But he, <laughs> don't tell me it's the same thing. And second, Blackthorn tries to explain who. He is, but the priest keeps translating that as pirate. Blackthorn's able to sort out that the Portuguese, this is a big moment, that the Portuguese didn't tell the Japanese about other it, European countries, that they asserted that they were the only, quote, flag or country or people civilization in Europe, and that the priest, therefore, is not going to translate that he says Netherlands, whatever, where he's from, and, right? And this is an important moment. We get a couple moments. Blackthorn's a freaking hothead. He is not maybe what? because of the long-term planning. But the guy is very intelligent, very intuitive, and very quick. And this is an early moment of, that guy reads that priest in a heartbeat. He does. And, he, and I don't know how he got there. I, I, I don't, in the book and in the show, I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't, I didn't get enough clues that I would have gotten there. But he gets to the right answer, which is I, actually a really big, like, and big, way bigger than Blackthorn in this situation, is that the Portuguese who found their way to Japan have told the Japanese that they are the, the, the they haven't told them anything about other European cultures, right? Yeah. So if the French tomorrow get a, a ship over there, if the English tomorrow get a ship over there, 
It's going to shock the Japanese. They have no I, idea that these cultures exist. Yeah, Portugal is treating Japan so much as their own little private money box in terms of how they're, how they're trying to use it and monopolize it. They don't want the Spanish to show up. And the Spanish are right now a co-kingship right now with the Portuguese. This is, yeah. this is meant to be a Portuguese-controlled territory. The Pope himself said that this is, this, this is Portuguese land. So, yeah, it's a... It's some it's something that the Portuguese have pulled, right? And it, and it is a if you if you pause here, the show goes quick, right? So when this this revelation happens, I think you're just kind of in the flow, and you're probably more worried about what's going to happen to to Blackthorn in the scene than thinking about the you know geopolitical <laughs> implications of this revelation. Mm-hmm. But it presents a massive opportunity for Blackthorn. And he finds a very interesting massive. way to seize it. And it's same same in the book. It's, this is translated pretty well. Realizing the priest will not translate things correctly, realizing the priest has lied, and the entire Portuguese have lied about whether there are people outside that have different views, he grabs the guy's crucifix and smashes it in front of Yabu, who Yabu, previously bored with all this of what the fuck are these Europeans saying, suddenly is really interested in seeing that, like, oh, that's got opportunity attached to it, I'm paying attention to you. Right, there's something else there. He's not just another guy from the say from the, another portuguese trader who's come over who you know we've been dealing with these people it's not he knows it's something different now i will say that my request to blackthorn that he treat the religions the same <laughs> i'd like him to start now like it's kind of like not no no not no, no, yep now okay yeah, do it yeah, now yeah, after you yeah. well done good, good stamping from here on out yeah after this because th- this was a smart thing to do and i think it changes his uh, fundamentally changes his trajectory because now yabu believes I'm dealing with somebody different. He doesn't know who it is. He doesn't know what it is. But he knows it's not the same as that that uh, that Portuguese Catholic priest. And the show at least makes it pretty explicit. This moment also saves Blackthorn's life because Yabu wanted to... Yabu was intending to kill some people. That Probably. Was, that's what gives Yabu some of his jollies. And the fact that Blackthorn did this, no, he's going to get bathed. He's going to get cared for. I want to find out more about this guy. Find me some other dude. Which in the, in the books is poor little Peter Zoom. Exactly what he happens. That's exactly what happens. He gets you go clean this guy up. There's a, a a lot about the cleaning that happens and the importance of that and and, mm-hmm. and the effect that that just how clean they are. What that what that does to Blackthorn because he like he's like oh mad respect like he likes that right away. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the priest pushes as hard as he can, but he cannot convince Yabu to kill. All of them. Blackthorn. Or, yeah, Blackthorn, now that Blackthorn has shown himself to be different than this priest. Uh, so, does, doesn't stop them to blow out what is sadly a pretty historical punishment in Japan to uh, make use of one of the other sailors, though. Let's cut to Toronaga, who is working with the Lord, who believes... Um, who believes uh, is the son... So he's working with this Lord, and it's a young girl... Uh, it's a, it's a, I think it's actually a young boy that just looks very feminine. Oh, because I, it, uh, yeah, because all the implications is that this is the son of the Taiko, right? Yeah, I think this it's hard, always always hard to tell with young kids with long hair, but I believe this is the Ty, This is the heir. This is the Taiko. I was son. so fucked Unless up in the game because I was like, are they introducing change? that the Taiko also had a daughter? Because like clearly this is the son of the dead emperor, the, the descendant of the dead emperor, but it just looked like a, a female to me. So I was confused. Yeah. Clarification, not the emperor, distinct, distinct position, similar kind of idea uh, no, no, of power, no. but distinct position. Yes, you're right. Tycho, not emperor, Tycho. 
Um, so cut to Tora and I got talking to the girl, the boy's teacher. I got well, changed my names. Well, at this point, we'll just call the person the heir. To, the to heir's clar- teacher. Clarified otherwise whether the show has changed this. Okay. Tornaga, I think it is because the way they talk about it, right? Tornaga explains that he'll protect the heir with his life. So he actually says, I'll protect the heir with my life. This is where I was like, what, what the fuck? Like, um, and she says the council doesn't fear his name. It's his bloodline. Um, uh, put your ones up for Roman Reigns right now, Spencer, if you would, for, for the bloodline. Thank you very much. And he says he doesn't have a desire. This is where he starts to assert something that he is going to assert a lot. Mm-hmm. Folks, sit back in your couch. Be, kick back. Sit back because Tornaga is going to school you on what he wants and what he does not want. He does not want to be Shogun. He says it's a brutal relic from a bygone era. Yeah. She takes him to a tree, explains that it was planted the hour after um, Yakichio, I think that was the name of the old Taiko, uh, or no, the, the, the heir, I mean, Yakicho, the, the heir, was born. Mm-hmm. The splint supports the growth. Oh, they love the, they love the imagery. Oh, she yes. asks what will happen to him if Toranaga is gone. Basically, you can't die. You got to help with this guy. You got to help with the heir. It is an interesting scene. You almost can see the detect the tiredness from Tornaga that he has to keep repeating this to people because everyone is assuming that Tornaga wants power, wants to be the, wants to be How shogun. How many times in the book does he say, "I don't want to be shogun"? It's to, it's to the point. If it's one. To, to the point, you can feel his sigh as he's going through this. To be like, even just people, even his friends are asking him this question. The the lady that's doing this is one, is one of the senior members of the Taiko's family, and is a personal friend of Tornaga, and she's saying, "Well, you." You want to be Shogun and you need to do it effectively protect the air. He's like, we have had this talk before. Why are we doing this again? You know what this is? This is people in our lives continually coming up to us and saying, yeah, but you're going to make money on the podcast, right? <laughs> yeah, but you're going to. Yeah, but you, you're going to. No, yeah, I, I get I get no. that you have jobs that you're you're still invested, but you're, you're going to start selling ads, right? You're, well, not selling, but you're going to do Patreon, right? Like, and we're like, this is a hobby. Like we how many times do we have this. to It's a hobby. We do it for fun. That's it. All right. Where are we at? Back to Ajiro. They take off. Oh, this is where they burn the guy alive in the boiling water. Uh, they take, in the books, it's Peter Zoom, one of the youngest of the youngest I was wondering why you got so quiet. Career. You did it out of respect. I appreciate that. RIP. Uh, it is... <laughs> Uh, this is a historical punishment in Japan. There are examples of this happening. It is brutal as goddamn okay, shit. Okay, so I got some this. questions about this. It, the, look, if you don't want to hear about a guy getting bold uh, alive, then jump ahead for a couple minutes because I got yeah. some. I got go, some takes. Go on, on yeah. Alive thing. Um, so first off, the, the being bold alive thing. Not the first time I've seen this displayed from a from close to the same era. By the way, the show Tutors had a guy get bold alive on the show Tutors. Now. God died right away. So my question for you, because you're clearly an expert in these things, does it really take you that long to die yeah. Yeah. in boiling water? It is intentional. Yeah. It, it, so it, they kept the they keep the the boiling to like a they keep it a low boil. That's the entire point of it. And Yabu has, in particular, in the book makes very specific instructions to his designated torturer, who's one of Yabu's lead, lead lieutenants, that you need to prolong this as long as possible for me. And so he carefully sets the temperature to be as utterly agonizing but non-lethal as possible okay that really sucks you know what that is that's like uh like ramen boiling you don't want to boil ramen at too high a temperature you got to no. keep that you got to boil the ramen at pretty now another question for you um they show us the guy with the skin falling off his face and the stuff like, that i don't l- expect like a, like a boiled chicken yes 
Yeah, really tough to watch. But at some point, and they go so fast when they get here. It's so, it's interesting because they go really slow in the part I don't want to see. And the part I want to see, they go really fast. It looks like he bangs his head against the side of it to end, the, end it. Is With, that what you got? That is very much what the show did. Um, in the books, they chain him down specifically so he can't, which is all the worse. But yeah, in, they're suggesting in the show that he was able to, again... They're going into the concept of suicide and choosing your own death a lot, even in the first episode. They're setting that he was able to end, him, end his own suffering. Okay. I'd just like the record to state that I am not in support of this, this procedure. I, I understand. You have made it very abundantly clear, even under circumstances of where his skin is sluffling off from the sheer boiling water he's been in for hours. Understand? Yeah, I don't support that. And it's you know what? That's even a level more than getting my head pissed on. It's even more important. <laughs> even more important. We have set the <laughs> rules and laws of Lee right now. It's pretty From important. On high. You don't do this. Yeah, this is this is absolutely true. So, okay, I think we got the people back who, who skipped ahead because they didn't want yeah. to hear about the boiling water takes. Um, so, yeah, guy dies. Now, in the course of this, we see Yabu with, um, can we call a courtesan? Uh, she is a courtesan. A lady okay. Kiku. A courtesan um, who has come from the village. Now, um, I believe in the book that there's a... There's a waiting list for this lady. This is what? not, you can't, this is not a yellow page situation. You have got to show proper respect. You've got to get on the waiting list. There's, it's hard to get this person's services, but she comes to Yabu. Why? Well, in part because Yabu's a big deal, right? He, he kind of, mm-hmm. he owns the, the greater fiefdom that this all rolls up into and he's there. So she is, she's going to attend him and she is talking to one of his servants and in talking to the servant they discuss how yabu is interested in the last moments before death the few moments where you're giving up right before it ends that's the part he's interested in so what frustrates fuck out of me is that if he's got to bull somebody for like fucking two hours to get to a 20 second thing it's like bro just kill (laughs) why i don't uh he sucks not a big yabu fan some people are interested in exploring the little deaths, sir. Yeah, it's just like, um, yeah, it, you could you could kill somebody and still get the moments before death without having them agonize for a couple of hours. But anyway, uh, it, she's talking to the the guy about this, and I, you know, I, I never got this in the book necessarily because everybody's a little bit more tight lipped, I think. Mm-hmm. But it seemed like both of them were thinking this was a horrendous practice. Matter of fact, number of the people that they were showing hearing the screams seemed not happy with this practice uh, in the show. It looked like there was not universal consensus that this was the way to go. Yeah, I think this is a career from the book. Of where in the book, the only guy who's really into this or the guy who's torturing, because he's just almost like scientifically fascinated by it, and Yabu. Yabu's really into it. Um, and clarification, the, the courtesan is in the village, but she is, this is not where she's from. She is the most famous courtesan in Izu, Yabu's province. So she's from back in his main main capital city. That is, uh, yeah, okay, got it. And so she then. Um, she, she then being Well, hold on, before that, before that, that happens, Yabu says that the final moment came in wit and the guy was inarticulate. And I just want to shake Yabu and be like, dude, what do you fucking expect? Like, uh, did you, does this guy really so polluted and deluded to think that like, if you boil somebody for a couple hours, that, that, that then they're going to say something brilliant. That is really what he's 
That's yes. what he's thinking? That's where his head's at? 100%. And we even get to see It's the exact this. opposite, Yabu. Uh, we even exact get to see, opposite. You even get a scene later where we ask Omi to basically compose a death poem for it. He is obsessed about the moment of death. He's obsessed about the experience and process of death. It is an aspect of being a samurai. It's an aspect of Bushido. And it's one that he is fixated on to a certain degree, particularly what they're emphasizing here on the show. All right. Now, you like to work blue. I don't. Please explain the next scene. Uh, okay. Uh, I'll market it this way. We get to see why Kiku is a master of her field. Because she reads her customer and she reads her customer perfectly. Up to the point... She seems to understand her customer, at least the show's depicting, better than he understands himself, because he seems briefly confused what she's doing to start, and then gets really into it as she proceeds to basically seduce and stimulate in front of Yabu the servant that you just you, you previously mentioned. At one, so she's picked up that Yabu is a voyeur. The Yabu is a voyeur, but she's maintaining beautifully a connection with him. The the kid is a means to an end. The connection she's establishing is with Yabu, never losing sight and focus on him. And Yabu, almost realizing in spite of himself, is really enthralled, as it were. Yeah, he seems to like this. So she's got an in with him now, right? Yes. Um, but yeah, I think I think that that is a g- good explanation of that scene that we we should take away from that a lot of respect for this courtesan that she reads people Knows really well craft. and that she, yeah, she's a potential player here, right? Because she, she read him perfectly and now he is, he's like whiplash interested in her. And there comes, a, there comes a little bit of power with that, right? When we, you know, when the, the courtesan, the madam, the prostitute, the whoever, even, you know, you can even expand that to like the drug dealer, the bartender, the person who's providing you with your hit of dopamine, right? That person oftentimes does have a little bit of power over the powerful people that they're giving that hit of dopamine to. So I think it's just, um, if they would have shown us, if they would have shown us, she sh- she comes in, she drops her dress, they have sex. Nowhere near as effective as what they instead focused on here. Right, because what they, because they, because if you, if you have that scene, you don't leave that thinking that she is particularly uh, impressive as a, as an intellectual or that she has any sort of power or influence over Yabu, but we don't get that scene, right? Instead, we get something that does give us those implications. And I think it's very important as well. Just the sh- we see several moments in the scene of how female power interacts with male power and ways in which they're in some ways co-equal or at least functioning on similar terms or functioning similar terms in different ways. And this is a wonderful way of depicting it of where in this room at this moment, she's the one with the power and she's using yep. it to control and manipulate the situation in a way that is titillating to her customer, but is also necessary and empowering for her. Yeah. I wonder what that conversation with her and the servant is like afterwards. <laughs> we get it. Remember, we actually get it in the book. We get, we get the yeah. two of them talking after they're I don't done with him. They, no, I don't remember what they say. What do they say? Uh, she, she, he basically, they basically talk about what Yabu did and whether they find it weird. <laughs> And then he asked whether he could have sex. She actually asked whether he wants to separately have sex with her now. And there's a whole conversation about that. It's a oh, I remember scene, that. Yes, place. I do remember that. Yes, and she kind of like she. Yes, okay. She because she she's not done with just that scene. She also uses that to promote jealousy in some other people. And yeah, she's she's a world one. She's she's a powerhouse. She's a power player on her own right. Yeah, like her. Uh, back to the shore, and then we see Blackthorn wake up. He's been scrubbed and cleaned. Thank God. Uh, he is <laughs> naked. He has got a lot of scars on his body. Did you see that? 
Yeah, I actually appreciate that. Some of those scars were actually directly lifted from the book. One of those is visibly like a gunshot wound, I think, it's in his arm. I enjoy how they did him eating because that's one thing that Clavel really spends a lot of time on is that Blackthorn eats like a savage and he keeps calling these people <laughs> savages, but he eats like one. He eats like a, a crazy person and that's, yeah. he eats greedily and hungrily and without any sort of dignity. And that's exactly how he eats here. And I just want people to put that on their tracker, put the, how, yeah, how about this? Let's track. create a new tracker. I'd like you to open up Microsoft. <laughs> how is Blackthorn eating today? <laughs> I need the, I need the Microsoft project, a file opened on your desktop. And please plug in uh, how Blackthorn's eating in episode one, and let's call it greedy. Now, let's reassess this baby in episode five. Let's see, let's see where he is at that, point, at that particular point in time. He accidentally knocks a hole in the wall between rooms, which I can't, you know, I mean, it's paper, but, you know, whatever. Uh, Blackthorn asks where his boots are because he's naked in front of these two women. Um, and we cut back to anything on, uh, uh, anything on that scene before I cut? Nope, that, that, that is the scene. Well described. Cut to Omi and Yabu. Uh, Yabu's eating. Love the dynamic. Love the contrast here. About look at how Yabu eats. Look at how Blackthorn is eating. Black, Blackthorn ate everything in about eh, I don't know fourteen seconds, uh, eight seconds, something like that. Yabu is eating and chatting away, having a good mm-hmm. time, and he does. He wants to. First off, he wants to point out that <laughs> Blackthorn is stronger than most Christians. He's he's got that about him. Or no, no, no. He's not talking about that. He was talking about the dead guy, right? He's he's talking. He's talking. He's, it's a fascinating scene of where he's admitting a certain degree of, ab- not admitting, he's happily stating a certain degree of admiration for the, the kid that died, the kid that he bought. That's right. Yeah, I, I mistook this early on, but he was he was actually talking about the, the person who died and how like how long they hung on, basically. Yeah. Um, he, he's having a conversation about, you know, it's really impressive how long that, get, that guy took to die past the rice place. Yeah, it was just, uh, I really think these Europeans can be boiled longer than we are. Oh, this is really great soy sauce. So yeah, could please, you do compose a, a death poem, poem for me? about this? Well, yeah. I, I, uh, yeah. And so, and the, that's funny in multiple ways. Cause one, it shows like how like broken Yabu's brain is that he's like over just chatting over some rice. He wants, yeah, like, can we please relive that moment? Like in some poetry, I really want to revel in it, but also asking <laughs> Omi of all people. Yeah. Can you please come up with a poem for me? It's hilarious. Uh, I, I, cre- um, he doesn't cre- seem to like the exercise. Credit to the guy. He, he conjures he does good- it. Sure. He, he conjures a good poem that seems like it impresses Yabu. Yabu, notably in the book, actually responds with his own poem because he's a, a, a wordsmith himself. But we get we get we get a nice half of it here. Yeah, this, this is putting. So this is not something you do to Spencer. D- this is not you're not D- gonna, demand you're a just, poem on the fly. Well, just any kind of th- any performative thing like that. No. Like if you're, you're you're all in a big group and you're like, oh man, you know what? I really love the show Game of Thrones. And Spencer's like, me too. I like it too. And then somebody says, hey Spencer, you should do what are your top five favorite Game of Thrones episodes? Spencer would be like, well, how long you got? Because <laughs> I'm going to talk to you about the show for seven hours and not give you a list. You're not going to get a performative thing out of Spencer like this. You're not on the fly. Not happening. You'll get one of two things. You'll either get me just going into excessive detail because I can't actually be put on the spot in terms of ranking favorites or whatever else. Or B, you'll get me saying, okay, so I need to go to the grocery store and pick up supplies. Uh, we need this, this. Okay, thank you. See you all in an hour. Yeah, the old the old dad going out for a pack of cigarettes routine. 100%. <laughs> Leave exactly the kids that. for the next 20 years. <laughs> Spencer, where are you at? Anchorage. Talk to you all uh, later. Yep, yep. What, that, are you kidding me? Respond? <laughs> oh, right, yeah. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> I cut to Blackthorn. He's getting his kimono put on. And there's this kind of thing where he's trying to talk to the people who are waiting on him and like they're having trouble. So the, the nudity thing is a big thing for Blackthorn. He oh, is yeah. not, 
He's married. I mean, he's he has a, a he has wife. Now he probably hasn't seen him in six years or seven uh, years I, or whatever I, the hell. I think it's it a solid two. I think it's a solid two, two or three years at this point. Let's say let's say three. Okay. Um, it's been a long time because there was some stops in South America too. So it's been yeah. a long time. Uh, he's not used to women seeing him naked, but men in positions of power in this uh, in this society, it's not uncommon for them to have servants who are women who help dress them and stuff like that. There is not the same nudity tab- taboo in Japanese culture either then or now. Not now? Not, not to the same degree I think there is in the West. Let me explain something. I've already created the reason I want to go to Japan, <laughs> Japan segment. <laughs> You're not going to get me to change it now, damn it. It's not what? happening. Well, I'll draw that back to a certain degree. They are famous for pixelated pornography. So there is some degree of nudity taboo that maybe exceeds our own. You know, when I put this uh, this podcast in Apple Podcasts, I had to say if it would be explicit or not. <laughs> I said it wasn't. I'm going to get in trouble. <laughs> I said pixelated pornography. Isn't that less explicit? <laughs> I don't think. Not when you not spoken word somehow. Oh, I don't know. It. I don't know. Anyway, Yabu is talking to Omi about Omi's father's death. There we go. Because Omi is his nephew. Yabu is the uncle, and he tells him his fief is to be increased. Look at that. Omi's doing a good job, going to get a raise, a little bit of a raise. This does happen in the book, too, and they go actually go into the money. They actually go into how Koku. much people are getting and all that stuff. Um, Koku yeah. is a measure of a certain amount of rice. That is the basis of their currency. Yeah, shout out. Still, That's that's a good measure of currency right there, I, I, like I, something I, that you can use. I think I remember correctly, like one koku is enough that a, 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 a peasant family could live on that for a year. That's that, that equivalent of amount of rice. It's so. the exact opposite of Bitcoin. <laughs> yes. It's the exact opposite is what they're, what they're trading uh, in. What's this measured in? Literal pounds of rice. What's yes, that measured something, in? Something? It's Digital? Th- it's something, but you want it. You do want it because one day that's what we're going to be using. So Omi questions if Yabu is going to tell Taranga about the ship. They have this whole back and forth where Yabu's like, well, Taranga's a dead man, which, bro, <laughs> what is going on? He has to trust Omi like crazy at this point to just be dropping that shit. He gets to, yeah, there's no need to tell a dead man anything. Omi starts to piece this together. He says, oh, okay, so wait a second. After Taranga dies, then Ishida will be the most powerful ruler. And he'll have to contend with the Christian lords and having knowledge about Christian weaponry will be really valuable to him. So this is kind of where you're thinking with the ship. This is why you want to keep the ship because you think our ultimate Lord now is going to die. And Ishidu will eventually need that technology to fight the Christians or something. And not, not too far off, right? He's not, he's not too crazy with this. No, Yabu's like, dude, you worked through that real damn quick. I didn't know you had such a brain on your uh, uh, such a, such a good head on your shoulders. I'm going to remember you. Yeah, I mean it's it's but it's also not a particularly bad idea from Yabu, no. other than underestimating Tornago, which like everybody does. Like this idea that like we're going to need this weaponry eventually. Yeah, probably. Yeah, th- th- this is a ship which has 20 cannon, 500 plus rifles. Not sure how many they're doing the show. We'll find out. This is the basis of an army in terms of what this guy could bring to bear with this. This gives whoever holds this influence. So Yabu's talking to um, Omi um, and... <laughs> Someone in, in, uh, intervenes. Right. And then he, this is like, he's like, yeah, yeah, you're, you got this. And right about that time, somebody goes, ah, there's a ship here. Ah! What? And this the is most- the this is like the closest you're going to get to a freak out in this society. Like that that guy coming in and like yelling this thing about a ship being there. That's like the closest thing to a freak out we can get, I think. 
And, and into the harbor comes a beautifully done, what looks like they actually maybe even made in some way, galleon coming in, a galley, galleon, uh, it's a galley, galley sailing right into the middle of this particular harbor. Yeah, so up walks Hiramatsu. He's he's arrived. Uh, uh, and, he's come. And he has a purpose. Yeah, Yabu's all smiles. I gotta tell you, um, Yabu did a couple things here that should be a little frustrating if you're a Toronaga fan. A, Toronaga told him, you need to stay in this place, Ibu, and he did not. Mm-hmm. He went back to the, where the ship was, right? Yeah, I, so I th- I thought first thing the- that Hiramatsu does is call him out for, for fucking up that direct order. Yeah, why are you here, dude? It's like, ah, you know, I had to check this out. It's important. I need to make sure that everything was, you know, carefully put away and stored on shore. How do you know exactly the precise to the number amounts of things I stored on shore? I'm going to ask questions about that later. So, exactly. And then the second thing that comes up is Hiramatsu sort of bullies him about, hey, what you doing with that ship? That's a nice looking ship you got there. What you going to do with it? I, th- um, I think they'd be better if they'd be my ship, or more practically, my buddy's ship. You know, in fact, my buddy sent me here to take that ship right here, right now. And, you know, this the way they communicate, the communication style, is emblematic of something I was talking about earlier, which is they don't often go, come out and say the thing, because that would be rude. But they talk around it and get their point across, and then, you know, what... It's not a whole hell of a lot different than Hiramatsu coming up and being like, I want that ship. And him being like, you can't have the ship. And him being like, I'll fucking kill you unless I get that ship. And him being like, okay, you can have it. Like, it's not too different than that. But they it's just they how they go direct. about the social dance. That's how they go about the social dance. Yeah. There is a, 100%. It's a dance. It's lovely. And it, it, I, I, credit to Yabu. He handles the situation well of where Hiramatsu put him in a basically impossible situation from an honor standpoint. And notably, Hiramatsu knows it and actually talked with Toronaga about it in the book about how in the hell do you expect him to actually cooperate with this? But Yabu confronted with this goes, okay, I can't tell him no because A, Hiramatsu would probably just kill me right here right now anyway, so point there. B, even if he doesn't, I'll basically be at war with Toronaga, so I can't do that. But I also can't, from an honest standpoint, just roll over. This is my province. I'm just an ally of Toronaga. He has no rights to demand this, basically, of me at all right now. So, how do I square this? I know. Gift. You can't. You can't demand it of me. It is already a gift. I intended it as a surprise. Such a shame you ruined the surprise. But so glad you can take it from me. And everybody around, everybody knows it's bullshit. Um, but he. It was threading the needle such that Hiramatsu didn't have to cut his head off right there. I, I love that Hiramatsu already basically has his sword half out right now in the scene. It's like, the guy's spoiling for a fight. He actually wants Yabu to say no right now. Right, yeah. So, <laughs> that was, a, that was a, a hell of a scene, right? And um, during this um, uh, exchange, uh, we cut away to Blackthorn, and he's being like ushered around, and Hiramatsu sees him. Um, mm-hmm. And they kind of come across each other. Hiramatsu's reaction to Blackthorn is very interesting to me because he um, he seems to have he seems intrigued, but also really um, disgusted by him mm-hmm. and some of his behavior. So, in in a way, I think that like what you'll see in the show is that when somebody of different cultures is presented or a thing of different cultures, let's say a weapon or a ship or a person or a language. There are some people that see opportunity and there's some people who can't get past their cultural 
differences to see that opportunity. And I feel like Hiramatsu rides that fence perfectly. He's on half, he's half and half. And it's fascinating to see characters at war with themselves in this regard. And we're going to see more of that before we're done. So then we have our guy, uh, Rodriguez comes up. He comes up right away. He says, I'll I'll do some translating for you. I got you. How about this? This fucker's a dummy and he's going (laughs) to, let's go shoot his head. Let's just shoot him right in the head. Can we do that, please? Can we, can we shoot him in the head? (laughs) Uh, In in terms of characters that are accurately portrayed, he's older than I remember him being in the book, but good God, is this just Rodriguez? Like fantastic. uh, Hi Rodriguez. You walked right off the page perfectly. Uh, He's so good. He starts to translate a little bit. He makes his distaste for the man known to Hiramatsu, but says he'll take the guy to Toronaga. I I love, we're getting to see a guy that is comfortable in this culture because he is able to translate, do pretty well with respect to it, and he's using his translate, the fact that he understands all the languages nobody else does to make constant fun of everyone that's next to him. It's like, yeah. Bow to the dung-eating bastards. Bow to the dung-eating bastards. They care about honor. Bow to them. Very good. Say this word right now. Great, great. Now let's walk away from the shit-eaters. Great, great. Keep following. Yeah, it's like... Um, you know, it's like uh, he he's he, he knows just enough to get through TSA. Like, he takes his shoes 100%. off. He takes the he laptop out of the bag. He's got TSA but, print. But he... <laughs> But he gets the bag through. He doesn't say the word bomb. He puts his hands up. But at every other step of the way, he's a prick. Like, yes. that's kind of how he's doing the bare minimum to get through security so that all hell doesn't break loose. But he also is a prick to everybody and everything around him constantly. And in terms of his motivations, it's fun to assess because Rodriguez is a very complicated character. As we see within this episode, the first thing he does is intervene to protect Blackthorn. Because Blackthorn, of course, because sure. they're going very much the young hothead route with this character, is already getting himself in a shitstorm with Hiramatsu, which is not a good idea. The man's got a sword and he's willing to use it. And Rodriguez swoops in to say, no, 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 I I will take care of him. I will happily shoot him in the head if he does any more shit. He's with me. Thank you. Yep. And he says, I'll, I'll take him. I got him. I'm going to put him on the ship. I'm going to take care of him. Now, okay. question for you. He thinks he's just this Protestant, you know, asshole. I, presumably. Um Rodriguez knows that he's lying about a lot of his background. I mean, we get a lot of that in this conversation. And, and, and he's willing to let him lie. Why Why would he save him here? What's the point? I, I think as we see early in the scene, I think it's one of the things they emphasize, pilots are special. He even says that, you know, you're a pilot first, you're a Portuguese, ba- you're, you're a pro- you Protestant go. bastard later. That's and what so I was looking for. He quizzes him. It's like, hey, you're a pilot, you look pretty young. Where's the, what's the latitude of the lizard? Which is a particular, you know, for, for, um, geographic formation. Blackthorn says it perfectly. He's been trained at the finest schools in all, in, all, in all of England. Rodriguez is impressed, and basically the secret handshake has been completed. Pilots, to a certain degree, are above everybody else's shit. They're too well-trained, and they're too important. Which is why, and it goes it goes the other way, which is why when Rodriguez falls off the fucking ship, the first thing our guy does is get an oar to him, get him something to keep him above water. You know, he, he immediately pivots to, I'm going to save this guy's life, even though he's a Portuguese, he's an asshole. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think that, that that's exactly the answer I was looking for is that they have their, their sort of captains or their pilots club that they're a part of. And that really does, uh, that, that's pretty, um, it's a pretty strong connection, I think, immediately. But Rodriguez is inherently charming anyway. But yeah, it's the fact that they're pilots that adds to a certain pre-established element to a friendship that otherwise wouldn't exist. 
Quit. He also explains to, to Blackthorn how much stronger Toronaga is than anybody else he's dealt with so far. He's like, they'd all be they'd all be begging and bending down and, and whatever to, to wipe this guy's ass. So he, 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 he has you know, a, mil- a million followers happy to wipe his ass or something like that. Yeah, exactly. So he's got he's got a flair for the dramatic, but he also is putting the putting the fear in Blackthorn, right? Blackthorn is getting a little bit more intimidated about where he's going, who he's meeting. Uh, oddest of little changes, did you I don't know if this is change or not. I just don't remember this. The guy explicitly says he's a Spaniard in service of Portugal. I don't remember that from the book at all. I always thought he was just Portuguese. I thought he was Portuguese too, which is why I almost said Portuguese a second ago when I was talking about Blackthorn or uh, Rodriguez, but I, I bailed out of it because I, I was a little unsure. Um, I'll, I'll go back and check it in the book because I, I definitely don't remember that, but regardless, he's in service of Portugal. And yeah, technically right. At this and point, so. Technically, at this point, Spain has conquered Portugal anyway, so they're the same kingdom. It's just Portugal independently manages its own colonies. But- right, and I think it's important that he is sympathetic and not like in a hired hand way, but like really works for and with the Portuguese. Because later on when he says, hey, I've basically got this proof that your your whole goal is to fuck the Portuguese here and I'm going to give it over. You have to believe him there. there there's not a... a I don't think we're meant to think that that's a double cross coming. Uh, he, he is an honor bound soldier of his country as much as anything else. He's offering the courtesy of Blackthorn of telling him that he's going to screw him before he does so. Right. Yeah. So he does. Another thing he tells him to do is kiss it, kiss his ship. Goodbye. Kiss her. Goodbye. Uh, it, as a gone. pilot always should. Yeah. It's the last time you're going to see that thing. So aboard the ship, Rodriguez is captaining. Uh, uh, Yabu. He, he also reassures him that all but one of his crew is alive and that you should be happy about that. Or aboard the ship, Rodriguez is ca- uh, piloting. I mean, he's piloting. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yabu is in it, as is Hiramatsu. Blackthorn is on the deck, and he knows the storm's coming. Uh, he points that out. Rodriguez points out that they should have headed a different way, but the Japanese don't like to sail away from the side of land. There's a detail mm-hmm. for you. While Blackthorn and Rodriguez are talking, they talk about um, Shikumi, about how it means destiny, part of a whole, how you have to accept your place. I love that Rodriguez has been... He's been changed by his time in Japan and he works in these little sayings or these little ideas about culture or about destiny that he's clearly picked up from his time there that he's not being ironic about. Like he thinks he's like, yeah, maybe, maybe this is it. Like maybe, maybe they got something here. Right. And he he kind of passes that. It's the first time he does it, but he does a couple of them this episode. Yeah. He's really a bit of a teacher for Blackthorn intentionally. So he's teaching him words. He's teaching him aspects of culture. He's teaching him how to interact with people around him. He's providing a certain measure of initial guide to what is a decidedly foreign world, and as you noted later, in a key way of trying to get him to understand the value of it that he's previously just the Blackthorns previously just recoiling from. Yeah. So we get Blackthorn. He calls the after he goes through this whole thing about destiny, part of a whole, etc. Blackthorn mm-hmm. calls the Japanese godless savages, and Rodriguez sort of laughs that off. We'll get back to that later. Blackthorn gives him the, the whole spiel that he is a merchant, et cetera, et cetera. Uh-huh, <laughs> Rodriguez just uh-huh, laughs that yeah. off and tells him, look, you can take first watch. So as the ship is dealing with the storm, we cut to that one. immediately because Blackthorn's right. Because if Blackthorn says the storm's coming, the storm's coming. Blackthorn mm-hmm. seems to know what they should do. All hell breaks loose. Rodriguez flies overboard. Blackthorn, uh, first thing he does is throw him a, a, an oar, make sure he has something that he can hang on to that hopefully will float. Um Blackthorn takes control of the situation, tells him to steer into the swirl, pushes them to row, learns the Japanese word for row during this Mm -hmm. exchange, and uses it to push the crew to save the ship and uh, generally gets them ashore. Yeah, it's again a demonstration of Blackthorn's intelligence. 
what did Rodriguez repeat the word "road" three times, and Blackthorn's already commanding it. The guy, yeah. the guy, the guy is capable. The guy is smart, even if he's got some personality problems. Yeah, he's got. Yeah, absolutely. And and by the way, he displayed enough. Con- that's another thing that like, it's a clear sign of leadership that he was not in a leadership capacity on this ship. But the ship was in trouble, and he, and he, and when all hell breaks loose, people look for the person who's confident. And Rodriguez seemed confident about what he was telling them to do. Or I'm sorry, Black Thorn seemed confident about the, what he was telling them to do. So people did what he said. Yeah, it, was it, a, it was a good call. It, it's a scene I really like from the book, but we get to see briefly from here. We get to see a lot from Hiramatsu's perspective, but this is one of the moments of where he thinks to himself about watching Blackthorn in the storm. And it baffles him that a guy that can appear so weak, so as much of his emotions on his sleeve, always angry, always whatever else, was so utterly in his element and in command in that situation in a way that even that even Hiramatsu felt like he needed to submit to. It's uncomfortable to him to watch that kind of contrast in a man. Yeah, yeah, you really run into trouble underestimating people. Underestimating people is a is a big, it's a big problem for for uh... <laughs> for everyone, but particularly in this world. <laughs> Yeah, well, I would say probably for um, for people dealing with overt cultural differences. Yes. We have a tendency to underrate the thing that is different than us. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what, a little bit what's going on here. right? I, I, because I'm... a lot of the things that Hiramatsu is picking up on with Blackthorn are not really genuinely signs of weakness. They're cultural differences. And he's mistaking 100%. those and inferring that they're weaknesses and therefore underestimating him. Absolutely. Well said. And we see them unloading. Rodriguez tries to... Uh, um, Blackthorn. Blackthorn tries to get the rope to save Rodriguez. Hiramatsu doesn't immediately like the idea, but Yabu steps in and says, yeah, it's a good idea. We should save the pilot, right? Like, he's valuable. Like, we shouldn't... We should, we should. You can send a couple guys out there. I'll do it. I'll go with it. Hiramatsu uh, sees intrigued by Blackthorn. Um, but, but he kind of... Wa- the, <laughs> the actor's so good. He waffles between being intrigued and seemingly like he wants to kill him. As you said, he's warring with himself like... I get there's value here, but I kind of want to kill you like a rabid dog. And I'm Don't really like having a hard time keeping my sword in right now. Don't like him. Blackthorn and Yabu uh, go out to a cliff and see Rodriguez down there. And they're, they're like, move, move a limb. Let us know. Like, do something. You know, Rodriguez is not in the moving. Put <laughs> left foot out. <laughs> Rodriguez is not in a conscious enough state to play the hokey pokey right now, sir. <laughs> it doesn't seem that way. Uh, so, Rodriguez... Um, you know, not really giving them much in the way of a response, but they decide to go down there anyway. So Blackthorn is like, I'll do it. I got you. And Yabu's like, ah, you are not going to show me up out here. And he goes, okay, so that means you're doing it. And Yabu's like, wait a second. Huh? <laughs> like Yabu doesn't think this one through too well because he doesn't want Rodriguez to go down there because that would Black- show Doesn't want up. Blackthorn to go down there. Doesn't want Blackthorn to go down there because um, that shows him up, right? Mm. But at the same time, he doesn't want to go. Um, he, he sees an opportunity, though. He, but he, he goes. He, he, he even calls out one of the other samurai. Like, let, let me do it, Lord. It's like, no, he just called me out. I'm going to rise to that challenge right now. Yeah, but there's also a hesitancy when he first gets offered the thing. Yeah. Which, you know, makes me feel like Yabu's not in control of the situation. Well, and I, I think that that's the read they're going with this. And that's the read that Blackthorn has on it. It's like... I understand enough of your culture right now that you know that you can't lose face in front of these other people right now. So you take this you you take this rope and you die, motherfucker. Yeah, and that's almost what happens. I mean, he goes down, he almost falls in the process. He does get Rodriguez up onto a different like step, onto a different stone. To protect um, him, yeah. 
just before he slips and falls into the water. And then he has trouble sort of holding on as the waves are crashing up against the rocks. And some of his men, some of Yabu's men are running, kind of try to get down, which, I, by the way, if you could just run down there, why the fuck didn't they run down there to begin with? That was kind of confusing. <laughs> um, <laughs> that didn't make a lot of sense to me. Yeah, yeah. But they, they go to try to save him, basically. And then the one guy who unnamed for us in the show is yelling basically like hang on to something you know we're, we're coming we're gonna help you out blackthorn is basically when he slips is like you know fuck this guy you know he, he, he doesn't he doesn't give a fuck he he literally like says oh i'm sorry your lord seems to have died or something like that yeah some kind of very shit. laconic and he doesn't get interested until it looks like yabu's about to die and then Blackthorn sees him pull the sword out to start the process of Sabuku. And that's where he goes, wait a fucking second. What is this guy doing? And it, honestly, the way they they displayed this in the show, it seems like Blackthorn was rattled by this. Almost scared by it. I don't know. What was your interpretation? No, 100%. I feel like he is expecting to watch a guy die right now. And he, see, he seems like he's a little bit conflicted about that. Because he's seeing a lot of bravery and a lot of heroism and a lot of determination in Yabu in terms of protecting Rodriguez and trying to surmount this. And then seeing that the guy's about to die, rather than have him rage, rather than have him break down in tears, it's the moment that he gets most calm as he pulls his sword, it pulls like his short sword, his wakazashi, and is, some, is setting the moment for it to be his death. And as you said, Blackthorn is just, it's an even mix of rattled and baffled as he's just watching this strange play set out, uh, set out and occur before him. And Yabu comes up to the top of the rock because they're, the rope finally hits him and they're able to get him up. And Blackthorn looks at him and is just mystified and actually bows really low to him all the way, head, I mean, forehead all the way to the rock. And Yabu likes this. He sort of laughs and smiles. Yeah. So that was a scene that I think a lot of people who didn't read the book likely were sitting around going, what to make of this? What do I, what do I make of this? And, you know, the thing, what I'm seeing on screen is they connected the dots with you and how Blackthorn thinks about suicide and to see this sort of, you know, in his opinion, very calm and calculated, like, okay, well, I'll just do this thing then was so out of the norm for Blackthorn that I think it shook him to, to the point of when we see him later, when he's with Rodriguez, he's still coming to terms that he's reaching out to Rodriguez to help even try to understand it because it's still just rattling around in his brain. Yeah. So back to Osaka. Uh, Mariko comes in to see Hiramatsu. She thinks, but it's Toronaga. Because <laughs> uh, Hiramatsu is her father-in-law, right? Yeah, you see, you thought I messed up the names again. See, I had you. No, had you, you, you had, you, you, had a you, you caught me, man. Um, but <laughs> I, I, I remember correctly, I think that, uh, yeah, she's married to Hiramatsu's son, I think, if I remember that correctly. That's exactly right. Yeah, she's a, she was she's she's married to Hiramatsu's son. She is married to Hiramatsu's son, and um, she thought she was seeing him, but it was Toronaga. And Toronaga says he asked for it and says that she married into Hiramatsu, his general's family, sixteen years ago. He says basically, kind of gives some perfunctory sort of comments about the, them not talking as much as maybe he'd like or something. He thanks her for helping helping Fuji through her grief. Toronaga says he doesn't like all this death. It comes up again. I don't like all this death. Now, my question for you is, when he says, I don't like all this death, do you think he was commenting to her in the same way that he, he had previously in the episode of like, well, this is just needless from a resource perspective, or was he appealing to her emotions? I think he was, 
Toranaga seems to understand people well, and I think he's speaking to her. I think he's speaking to what she's going through with respect to death, because he even frames it along the lines of what you've gone through and what you've had to endure, not only from death, but from the absence of death, in terms of what she what, is, what she's longing for. Well, she certainly, you know, he certainly instills a little loyalty, because the next thing out of her mouth is like, well, if the regents vote to kill you, they're going to have to fucking kill me too. Yeah. And I'm not sure he liked that. I mean, I think, you know, he's a, he's a complicated dude, right? Because, like, he can have, he's smart enough to have multiple emotions at one time. And I think obviously he likes the loyalty and appreciates that, but he did seem to cringe a little bit at the idea that she would just like give up basically if he was dead. Well, I think he he cringes at it and then he uses it to a certain degree too. Because he knows that she's a, he he knows that she's a death seeker. He -hmm. knows that she's longing for death, knows that she's looking for in some ways a justification or valid reason by which she can have death. And we'll understand more about why that is later. And he markets it. It's like, Okay, I need you to do something for me. So my question for you is, Mariko's character, like so much of her character, the driver of her character is that she does want to die. Yes, we don't know she why wa- right now. We know, we know wants, that she does, but we don't yeah, know why at this point. We established that here, and that's a big driver for her character. In the book, she's older. Here, she's younger. Mm-hmm. I feel like, when you when the driving your driving motivation behind a character or a primary driving primary motivation behind a character is that they want to commit suicide. Yes. De-aging them has much bigger implications for how the audience is viewing the story than it otherwise would. Because now it becomes much more tragic. This young girl wants to end her life. Most people, when you're dealing with somebody who's a little older in life, um, they don't view suicide quite the same way. Of course, it's still tragic, but it's not uh, going to apex the emotions in quite the same way. So I'm wondering if the de-aging of this character, for whatever reason, is going to impact how we view her considering this motivation. That'll be curious to see, because like you said, there's a, a certain kind of natural tendency to think, oh, well, they've, they've lived a life if right. they're older. They've had experiences. They've had perspective. Obviously, we don't agree with their choice. It's illegal, whatever else. But... There's a thought more of where, well, they've had some time to live before this moment, or they've had some perspective to make a decision here or whatever else, that the youth, the youth otherwise lack. As I said, these seem to be big changes with respect to these two. I, I, the show is really setting up that there are basically three protagonists. They've framed that at the end. There's Tornaga, there's Mariko, and there's Blackthorn. I think it's, it's, it's an interesting way of framing the story. And with two of those being... Triumphant. With the triumphant, with two of those being seemingly young, particularly Blackthorn, Mariko, unclear at this point, she comes across as being younger. We'll see. That'll be curious to see how they balance that out and whether they persist with that as the story goes on. Because I think she's, she can, without giving too much away, she has a a lot of heroic traits in the book, and I worry that that being so young and seeking death is going to just be overtly tragic and overshadow her character a little bit. It'll be curious. He uh, mentions uh, that she speaks Portuguese and he's like, Hey, uh, you speak Portuguese. That's kind of cool. Huh? Huh? Isn't that cool? <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So I got this pilot uh, of a ship. He also speaks Portuguese. Can you believe that? How about that? He acknowledges it's been 14 years since her father dies. Her father's died. Um, his name was Akichi Jensai. Well done, sir. Utter kudos, you got that one out well. Yeah, I'm I'm one for nine. Um, (laughs) It was brave and principled. The blind mouse found his crumb, people. (laughs) And he says, and I revered him. 
Um, that's what he says about Akichi Jensai. He says, I revered him, which is very, look, I'll tell you this right now. You don't know much about Toronaga, but you know he doesn't walk around telling, saying that he reveres a lot of people. Okay. So that's a strong statement for him. Tor Toronaga comes up to her and says, I know it's haunted you not being permitted to join him in death. So he sussed this out. Like he established early on in this conversation. He hasn't talked to her in a long time. He doesn't know this lady that particularly well. He's read that in this conversation. Mm-hmm. That or she from, wants to join him in death. That's a that's quite a leap. That's quite a thing to be able to infer from the little bit they've interacted. Hundred percent, hundred percent. He says he knows it was it just hurt her not being able to join him. But he says, look, um, he can restore her to the fight to her purpose. What what in the world is that, Spencer? He can restore her to the fight to her purpose. Uh, that had such. Whole, such of the same kind of notes as Mariko's speech to Fuji, uh, in terms of you know the purpose of maintaining, of finding, of, find, of finding a way to persist on. It has those kind of connotations of persisting on, but it seems to also to be framed in a certain aspect of, well, you want to die, let me give you a maybe way of pulling that about. It had a weird hybrid kind of structure of let me give you a reason to live, but also a purpose, and her purpose may be dying. It's almost willfully ambiguous as to what exactly he means right here in this moment. It's something I've started to appreciate as I've gotten older, that if you can get an indication of what people feel like their purpose is, yes. that you you know you know enough about them to be able to operate around them without um, maybe offending them or or just being ineffective in working with that person. Like that's a really integral piece of intel about a person, what the, how they view their purpose or what, why they're, you know, what they view um, their contribution to be. And it's something I probably wouldn't give a shit about when I was 21 years old, but like I, I now know a little bit more about people. And I think that that's a really important thing. And it's interesting to me that Toronaga tries to suss that out immediately. And the people he's trying to, a, a positive you would say work with a negative you would say manipulate uh, a little a column a little a column b in a way that w both characters in universe and out are going to continue debating but he needs to know look this barbarian is an enemy of your faith he is mm -hmm. a he, he knows enough about that right god knows he is a, he is knowledgeable he knows yeah you're christians but you're different christians would your loyalty to god conflict with your service to me don't worry, my lord. I have I, 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 in my heart, I'm a Christian, but I have more than one heart. Yeah, which obviously is a tie-in to the speech we get from Rodriguez later in the episode. Yeah, but right. I also like. I when, when this scene got when we got here in the books. Yeah, I was all in with Mariko. I was oh, like, "Yep, you I were I down." I believe her. I'm with her. This just kind of seems like. I'm worried that the show only viewer is like, well, damn, she just kind of twisted the wind, doesn't she? She's like, you know, she's Christian, but she's like, no, no, don't worry mm -hmm. about it. I, I won't be a Christian today. No, that, this is why the Rodriguez speech at the end is very important in terms of understanding the Japanese psychology here. He says, I think our fate has brought us together. You, me, and this barbarian who could turn the tide. So there you go. There's the triumvirate. The triumvirate, the triumvirate this three-headed dragon. That's who we're rolling with, Spencer. 100%. Back to the ship. Blackthorn is talking to Rodriguez. Did I get those characters right? Or was Rodriguez talking to Blackthorn? I don't know. And he's talking about <laughs> Yabu about to kill himself. You he son says, of a bitch. That was well he done. He chose his death. What better end can a man hope for? That's pretty good. That's yeah. a pretty good line. Look, he chose his death. What better, better end can a man hope for? And that is a fundamental disagreement that Blackthorn has. Blackthorn has. Yeah. He, 
he, he hears what you're saying, but I don't think that the character as we have been presented him believes that choosing your death is a good way to end. Oh, to, to the point he's got a 1,000 yard stare going right now in terms of just even, like, it. like the act of watching somebody choose their death. He walked out of the room, the captain did not see that. Instead, he got to watch Yabu pick it in, while staring the de- his death right in the face. So this is when Blackthorn's like, look, am I going to die here? Likely. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, well, I'm, I, how could you be okay with this badness? And, and Rodriguez says, uh, Zihimo uh, goes amazing. Something oh, like that. Yeah, Zihimo goes bad. amazing. Not bad, not bad. One can resist the unseen path of nature. One can't resist the unseen path of nature. All we can do is accept our small part in it. Which is basically like uh, very much in the... You know, the wheel just, the, the, look, the threads of the pattern, Spencer. The wheel, the wheel weaves, the wheel wills. It's very much that, that like, we're all I'm sort of rain, destined. I'm didn't see you walked in. We're sort of all destined to these particular paths. And sometimes you just got to kind of go with the universe. And, he, and, you know, it seems like Rodriguez has gotten a little bit more, what, maybe like spiritual, ethereal, something since he's gotten there. Because he, does do, he does do a bit of like, I don't know, let's just roll with it. I'll say cultured. The man clearly has a certain foot in multiple worlds. Yeah, but he seems to believe this. He does. It's not. He, he's not just saying this to placate, um, as our our guy uh, Blackburn would say. Um, <laughs> what? How does he say it? The, the Japanese. The yeah, Japanese. the Japanese. He, he, he's not just working the J- the Japanese. <laughs> he's not working the Japanese. He's talking to a, another European, and he seems to believe this. So something. Yeah. It's not just understanding the culture. It's seeped into him, right? I agree. Um, Blackthorn's like, look, I'm, I, I'm not going to succumb to this madness. And in the back and forth, Blackthorn let slip that he worked to get there. He did not get there by accident. He's basically like, I, I didn't, I didn't fucking come all this way. And the guy's like, wait a second. I thought you just arrived here by accident. Got him. Got him. Which is so lovely because it's very readily apparent that Rodriguez is like, okay, now I get to just call you out at what I obviously knew from the word jump. For sure. Yeah. And you know, it's almost, yeah. I don't know, it's almost maybe even better that they're just past that, right? Because yeah. Rodriguez never believed it to begin with. What? It, it's all the more because Rodriguez said, well, obviously, yeah. So now let me pull out the secret yeah, journals the that I totally just broke the <laughs> lock on and pulled with me. Yeah, it's it's interesting to me that Blackthorn assumed nobody would be searching the desk. Like, <laughs> did you really think that that's the people you're dealing with here? Look around, my dude. Which is exactly what Rodriguez tells him later, by the way. Look around. But, but but Lee, it was locked with one of those like one inch you know bicycle keys. How could anyone get in there? Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, they, if, gosh, if they just had like sharp instruments, but but it's not like they're each carrying two sharp instruments with them at all times. I mean, what kind of world would that be? What a nut! Like, I can't believe Blackthorn didn't think that that was going to get out. So, yeah, Rodriguez says, "Look, I got it." He says, "List of all the Catholic bases that you were going to put to the torch." So he discovers they were going to try to kill the Portuguese to open trade. Now here's the thing. I, your honor, can I defend John Blackthorn here in this court of law for just a second? Uh, please proceed, Mr. Waterfield. Um, see, here's the thing. Yes. Did my client actually commit this crime? He did. However, this is the dumbest plan of any dumb. And, and by the way, it's, it's a stupid plan. And he came to oceans to do it. Yeah. He's, he's suffered enough. He's suffered enough. This is Your Honor, my, my client's a moron. There is no intent. <laughs> this, 
the dumbest plan to begin with. It never made any sense. Oh, I'm just going to go over there and just torch all the Portuguese with me and my 500 people as if the Portuguese like didn't have people there, right, with yeah. weapons or whatever. They did have alliances with the the Japanese, uh, as my guy would say. Yeah. Like, give me a break. This was a stupid plan. So this yes, is what he's 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 worried that it'll get out but i i'm all i've always been stunned that this was the idea this is one of the things of where i i know they're going a different route black this is where i don't appreciate a little bit of where it does make him look like just an idiot it's a dumb plan to begin it's with. like, like it, black it did not work. have this plan he was basically going to going to japan to offer alternatives to them working with the portuguese to give them like you know hey, let me introduce you to capitalism and the idea of a competitive system where here's a corporation that can offer you a better deal and an alliance with our country to offer you better alternatives in terms of goods and resources. Which, that makes a lot more sense. He person they're, they're his rudders, they're his guides. He personally hid them. So the fact that somebody actually, you know, found them and stole them is surprising to him rather than they're just in the captain's drawer. It's like... There's these little changes they make to make Blackthorn more of like a secondary character or a little bit more like, you know, in over his head young guy that I think just kind of make him look like a bit of a dip. He does. He, yeah, this is this is my this is my defense. Uh, he's stupid your client's he is, a dip. He's dumb and he has suffered enough. Now, yeah, I think that um, another thing I picked up from the book, which was better, and I don't mind because they're not going this route. Right. So it, yeah. it doesn't matter to the show watchers is that it seemed to me that a big part of Blackthorn's plan was the knowledge that if the Portuguese were the only ones trading with the Japanese, yeah, that's that he could, he could, he could undercut them. Yeah. He could it, do it. He could, he could absolutely betray their position. He could, he could beat them out and he could end up uh, offering them a better deal, a more consistent deal. That was a big part of it too. Like yes. I'll be, I'll be bringing ships back we'll, every we'll, fucking six months, dude, and, but you just watch. And, and we'll be equal th- partners too. That was so much better than I'm going to go over there because I'm a rabid animal about Catholics and yeah. I'm just going to burn everybody to the ground. And then I'm going to tell these savages what the deal is. It's not great. Yeah, I don't yeah, like that change. Yeah. If anything in the book, Brockford's rather indifferent to religion. He doesn't really care that much. It's not as big as terms of his personalities is for other people. Um, and also you, you, you raised this earlier and I like that you brought it up. It's like, how does he know that Portugal's the only one here and would have lied to everyone? In the book, he's a well-educated man. He knows literally the Pope issued the Treaty of Tordesillas and designated this as solely Portuguese domain. So it's a not even an assumption. He knows it's Catholic law that Portugal is the only entity here. Right. Yeah. It, so instead, what they've created is a Blackthorn that had a bad plan mm-hmm. that has these moments of sheer stupidity. Yeah, he had a bad plan. He got punched in the mouth. But he also spikes to being almost unreasonably perceptive. Yeah, it, it, it because he doesn't have that background knowledge that would explain how perceptive he is. They're they're playing on aspects of his character in a way. I don't think it's a perfect balance right now, but it, it, it's not it's not a huge issue for me at present. Yeah, well, I think that like the benefit is that most people fly through this. Yes, and they're not doing what we're sorry. We're ruining it for everybody. That's what I've discovered. Is <laughs> like. Because if you fly through it, you just kind of root for the guy and you don't think too carefully about this like nor- moronic plan to go over there and what? burn down all the Portuguese trading outposts. Like it, it, I do think it can work for a casual viewer. I think that people who are in this show and hopefully if you're listening to this, you're in hour two, you're, you're, you're locked you're in. in with us. You better be you're locked in. I think it's going to be a problem unless they tighten up the character a little bit. 
it'll be it, it'll be curious to see. I think in some ways, they're, since they're making him a co-protagonist, he'll be less necessarily key or integral to, to driving the plot as he is for like the first half or whatever else of the book. So they maybe we're trying to work that balance in, but time will tell. Many more episodes to come. Yeah, so he tells Rodriguez, look, this isn't the end for me. I won't die in this wretched land. And Rodriguez is like, I've had about enough of this. Uh, yeah. Dude, this, these constant comments about the barbarians uh, and the savages in the wretched land. How about this plan? Why don't you just go up to the deck and just look? Just take a look at Osaka. If you really think our world is the hilt of civilization, then ask yourself, what kind of man wields power in a land like this? The one who schemes in the open and the one you never see. Or the one you never see. Lovely. And he line. says, then we get the, the seminal line of the episode. There's a saying out here that every man has three hearts. One in his heart for the world to know. One in his mouth for the world to know. Yeah, I knew I was going to screw that up. There's a saying out here that every man has three hearts. One in his mouth for the world to know. The other in his chest, just for his friends. And a secret heart, buried deep, so no one can find it. That is the heart a man must keep hidden if he wants to survive. Then we get the pan over of Osaka. It's fucking huge. Gorgeous. It's big. And like to, for Blackthorn to be calling these people like, you know, savages who root around in the mud, he could not be wronger. Like that's what, that's like one of the fundamental tenets about the show is that the automatic assumption that somebody who is different from you is worse is you just got to toss it. You just got to fucking toss it because it, it, it runs you into problems and it's just flat wrong a lot of the times. Yeah, one of the ways Rodriguez like convinces him just how infinitesimally important you are is pointing out that uh, probably uh, Toronaga has more people in his in his own little provinces of Japan, just one of the dangers of Japan, than the entire population of England. It's like which is probably true. Yeah, it's like, dude, we are a utter backwater. Let me introduce you to the actual world out there. Yeah, and I enjoyed that from the from Rodriguez's character too. Is that he doesn't let his own, and maybe he's just worked past it, but he doesn't let his own like. You know, pride. pride or, um, you know, over love of country or something. Get away from him being able to logically look at the situation. Mm-hmm. And he says, who knows? Maybe fate brought you here for a reason. And as we're getting this line, we're seeing Going into the castle. Blackthorn being brought into the castle. He says, maybe you'll live long enough to find out what it is that, re- you know, the fate, the, the reason. Um, and we cut to him arriving to see Mariko and Taranga. And the episode ends with Blackthorn bowing to Tornaga. I, I applaud. I thought this was, an, again, as said, I was, you put it perfectly, I was legitimately surprised how good this is. This is a hard book to adapt. It is requiring a lot of resources to bring to bear and a quality cast and well-done structure. And I think the runners of the show are doing a good job with it. Yeah, and so um, I always read Toranaga as Toranga in my head. I would I'm always gonna, say. I, I, I love. I get to call you out on that. <laughs> I always said Toranga, and I, I know. I mean, I just, I, you know, it's one of those dumb things where, like, I can read it, and know what the word is. There's another yeah. A in there, but I still say it that way in my head. Um, so, feel free put all the comments out there on our podcast. You want to? <laughs> ah, these idiots! They can't even pronounce the name of the characters. Are you kidding me? I will work on it. I will get better. Trust me, I will. By episode two, I'll have this thing nailed. I hopefully won't screw this guy's name up anymore. All right, Spencer, that is your recap. Only took a smooth two hours, 20 minutes. What in the world do we have for segments? Uh, let's start, sir, with, with best line of the episode, if you don't mind. Ooh. You got well, it. Hold on, you didn't say we're doing best line of the episode. You said we're doing winners and losers. I, I'm happy to do whatever you like. How would you like to do it? Let's do what we said we were going to do. Let's do um, best. Let's do winners and losers. Okay. Uh, winners for me, I got... I think in terms of just this episode, Ishido particularly thinks he's pulling off a coup here. 
He's thinks like he's got his enemy dead to rights. He thinks he's got him in a legal situation of where these can't get out. He's got all the resources brought to bear. He's got all the lords in his side. Particularly in this episode, Ishido has reason to think that he's doing quite well. That's like that's like when we ask you for a list. That's like the word. The what? What is this answer? I'm not saying who won. I'm going to tell you who thinks they won. <laughs> That's what I was offering. Yeah. What in the world was that? Uh, I, 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 for me, uh, just as a com- character that commands the scenes that he's in and just really demonstrates how much he has a command of the world around him, I think Rodriguez has to have some wins when it comes to this role. I think the show itself is one when, in terms of portraying the character, but the character himself just has such an utter command of the situation he's in that's got to have an aspect of winning attached to it. I don't. I, I I get your point there on Rodriguez. I am not going to put him as the absolute winner just because he did be flung his off his ship and, and broke his leg and can't walk and you know all that. Uh, who would you pick then? Who, like from a pure political standpoint, who do you think comes out the most ahead this episode? Look, I I, I, I think, enjoy. I think Ishida's got to get a nod at least. Ishido certainly gets a nod. Um, I think I'm a little. I'm a little concerned by the confidence. I liked your definition of this, like that you used to use, I think in succession, which was mm-hmm. who finishes ahead of where they started yes, and like who moved the most. Right. Cause I'm not sure Ishido moved all that much. No. And, and um, Yabu's too mixed in terms of up and down and up and down, but he has some, I think he has some mild up by the end. So it's a little difficult under that definition, not to give it. To Blackthorn because he does. Uh, he gets better. He gets better. I would also argue that the Curtison makes a move here Good where, where That's her, a right she, there. she she actually makes some forward progress in a way that like not it, everybody in this episode does. So I'm going to give it to Blackthorn with a really strong one B to the Curtison. Uh, you you uh, know her name? What's her name? Uh, Kiku. Kiku. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, Kiku. Uh, uh, in terms of loser, I'm going to offer an overarching one. Uh, the Portuguese cause in Japan. <laughs> That's a little fucked, isn't it? it, it uh, I, I think it's a really fair point, though. But the fact an outsider has gotten the mixed and somebody like Tornaga is interested tough. in him is not good for their purposes. It's really bad. It's really, really bad. It's like, you know, when you've got, um, the, you know, the one secret that just cannot get out. The fundament that's going to, that's, you know, like, will just, just destroy the economy. It's like, and you see that secret. He's now walked in under the protection of Tornaga. It's like, God damn it. <laughs> yes, yeah. they, they're in trouble. They're in a lot of trouble for sure. It, 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 100%, I think, I think it's, a, it's a reasonable one to make. In terms of like immediate characters. The guy I, who gets I, boiled alive? I, I was going to say him, but it too feels easy? too cheap. Too cheap. <laughs> too easy. Uh, I, in terms of uh uh, like characters that actually matter, I I might offer Ishido for the same for the same reason of like I think we can say within the context of this episode the guy's overconfident that he think he's walking into this episode with all the cards thinking that he's got like his start of the episode is him at an eleven, but by the end of the episode it's I think it's apparent to us in the audience that it's nowhere actually close to that. What about what about this guy? What about Tadayoshi? Oh dear God. He is a loser, right? Fair, like the entirety he of stinks. his family. Uh, he yeah, just I, loses every every. I mean, look, he, he does do. Like, I like, I really enjoy that Toronaga finds something positive in what he did. Like, that's a 
that's a, the, a leadership trait I aspire to. When somebody screws up telling them, well, there's one good thing you did here. Like, I do like doing that, but man, he fucked a lot of stuff up. And lost Sold. a kid. Sold. Well done. Yeah. All right. Look, I could tell you you already had some. So why don't you get, and you said you're going to keep them short. Let's do it. Let's break protocol. Let's do a little of this line of the episode. Give it to us. You've already done them all, so I'll just do them in categories. The quote on falconry that we get from Toranaga at the beginning is lovely. So and it says so much about the character and the mindset that he's bringing to bear. Um, Toranaga's little uh, just buzz at Ishido about this is the time for peace, Lord Ishido. The lady is no more hostage in, the, in my castle than I am in this one. Is just delightful in terms of taking all the power out of the room for a second. And then the two lines from Rodriguez that you did at the end are just so... They are such a primer. They're a rutter for the audience, if you will. In terms oh, of helping, look at that. In terms of g- gaining access to understanding and safe passage through the culture and, uh, as we go through this. There's such a wonderful summary of Blackthorn, your prejudices are getting your way of understanding what a paradise this can be. And also, the, Jap- the Japanese culture, in terms of what they reveal and what they don't, is so fundamentally foreign for you. Let me break it down in parts so that you have a hope of surviving this world. Same is true for the audience. So those lines at the end of Mudbreakers are perfect. Yeah, I I would I would say that you you're probably remiss if you don't give it to the three hearts. Yes, but um, there was some there was some winners from Toranaga throughout. Like the comments about the the the, the senseless killing, I really yes. enjoyed, and then the the Falcon comment, of course. So. Uh, All right, now co- we go to your segment, and then my segment, and then we're done. Uh, Culture clash of the episode. I've got a few options for you. Culture clash. Um, in terms of the one that seems to have the most effect on our point of view character, Blackthorn, uh, Lord Yabu's near, near seppuku, near suicide, is clearly something that is so culture clashing to him, so contrary to oh, his yeah. values That's and beliefs, that it just leaves him visibly rattled to the point of almost being changed throughout the rest of the episode. It's like... That's the event that actually puts him finally in a headspace where he can have, be open enough to, to, to un, try to understand this culture. Because previously his, his guards are up, his hackles are up, he's just always, oh, they're, they're, they're barbarians, they're bastards, they're, they're horrible people. And then that happens, and it's like, that is so utterly foreign to me, I gotta shut up for a minute and just watch. That's a damn good call. Uh, I think that's, that, oof. Well, I, I, I got some other options. I got some other options, but I, okay. I, 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 I think that one's got within the context of the episode. It's either that it's that one for Blackthorn, or Blackthorn doesn't get to see it, but maybe for the audience, uh, the death of uh, Fuji's husband and son. Are the idea that these guys, as an act of loyalty, is commanded by their lord, are not committing suicide, and he has volunteered the death of his son? is from a cultural standpoint so utterly night and day from anything that you and I experience that it is practically as if they are just, you know, well, they're literally speaking in a foreign language, but as if their foreign language is being communicated by the sound of car honks. It is just utterly foreign to us in terms of our modern setting. That these are the cultural values of, no, this is how he actually protects his honor is doing this right now, is ripping open his own belly with his short sword and then killing his son after, uh, around about the same time. Uh... The casual beheading of the Christian peasant. I, I, I appreciate how delightfully abrupt that is, of how that happens and how just they treat it as if it is no further consequence than other to continue walking. Uh, and then I think one that has to at least get an audible mention: the fact that Lord Yabu commands and seems to appreciate, from a philosophical, religious, and at least in the book, sexual perspective, the boiling alive of one of the sailors and making it last as long as possible. 
right, I'm gonna I'm gonna scrap the last one because I don't I don't as much think that's a cultural thing as a Yabu thing. What, I mean, that, yes, that's there's with, space in their culture for him to do it, which is the difference. But yeah, he's a he's a nut. Even within culture, the other people we see within the context of the episode, other people, other Japanese people, are recoiling from the fact he's doing this. Yeah, I mean, I would say. For yeah, I, I think you're, you've picked good ones, and those should be it. The only one I think I could add maybe um, is the the clear cultural differences in how they treat suicide, and that's like at, oh, at a, a top that's a, top that's level, overarching. right? Yeah, at, at the top because it, it's a sabuku thing, but it's not also not more than that. It's also that being able to kill yourself as a primary motivator for our main protagonist, yeah, <laughs> like 100%. or one of our three main protagonists, and. For another sympathetic character that we get uh, introduced to 20 minutes into this thing. So, you know, the, and then they make great pains to show you that the European perspective from that is that, that it's just not an acceptable thing to do ever. It's coward's way out, as as our guy Blackthorn said at the beginning of the episode. So, yeah, very big difference there. Uh, 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 a good addition, sir. But I invite you, tell me, why, within the context of what you saw in this episode, are you interested in visiting Japan? Kimonos. Kimonos? Yeah, but they're absolutely. so tight. They're so tight. No, no they're not. Blackthorn's got a belly, uh, which I don't think that actor actually has that belly. I think they added it maybe for that scene. Yeah. But I, um, yeah, I, I think the kimonos are a winner. And and they, they did a good job of making them seem oh, like the other side of the pillow, right? Because like oh, Blackthorn's so in the mud and he's in the gunk and he's got these clothes he's been wearing for years. And it just, ugh, it's like he's rotting. And then he gets... Oh, he can breathe, right? He's got that that's that air coming through the kimono. It gets cinched on perfectly. It's freedom of movement. It's perfectly clean. Ah, oh, it seems like it seems like so nice. The other side of the pillow. It, it's interesting too. I, I think it's just an interesting acting choice they instructed for the actor. It visibly changes his posture. Of where previously he's kind of hunched over. He looks kind of gnarly. He's kind of like you know a bit of. A bit, a bit of a um, a bit of a mongrel kind of look attached to him or whatever else, um, and then suddenly they wrap into Komodo. He is upright. He is straight. He almost looks yeah. like a lordly effect with him. The act of wearing something of a different culture is having an effect upon him. Yeah, it's like when they when you when you get that suit on in the morning, Spencer, and you're like, I'm going to go has be a, a transformative lawyer. effect. It being does. a lawyer now, I'm in a lawyer. I got my thing on. I got my suit on, and I'm going to go lawyer at people. This is exactly kind of what's it. And and like it wasn't just the Blackthorn kimono scene, although that one did seem like really refreshing and comfortable. But they also displayed kimonos not just as like a upscale robe, but think about how our guy Tornaga got dressed before the council meeting. Yeah, and he got that really fly kimono on that clearly was more proper and upscale, and like he was dressed up to roll up into there. I love the idea. Uh, I want to do this at some point of having my dinner kimono. Like I'm going out to dinner tonight, so I'm rocking my really nice one, and then I get home and I've got the blackthorn sort of like ah, you know, you just got out of the ship type of kimono where you can kick back and relax. So the kimono is the way to go. Uh, made me excited to go to Japan for a little while. Well done, sir. Well done. I'm eager to someday come to visit your house and you open the door with your dinner kimono on. Yeah, and you know you got to take your shoes off, and we have to give you a very comprehensive scrub down bath before you're allowed into the foyer. Yeah, absolutely. I would react exactly like Blackthorn did in the book if you tried to do that. <laughs> give you give you a couple couple people to help you with that. Just really make you uncomfortable. 
Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. This has been a blast, Spencer, as I knew it would. I knew it'd be fun. I knew it'd be great talking Shogun with you. Uh, This has been a lot of fun. We'll be back next week. Psych! We're not going to be back next week. We're back in a couple days. Spencer, you'll tell people when we're going to be back for episode two? Because the whole thing, by what? It's on you, Spencer. It's when you want to do it. So you tell the people when we're going to do it. Uh, we, I, I did not make a note of this. I should have that they dropped two episodes as the intro to this show on Tuesday. So before Tuesday rolls around for the next week, we this weekend on Sunday are going to record another Sunday. episode to impress our audience with our dedication to getting you as much Shogun material as we can as this show plows along into the future. But don't you? But Spencer, if you're doing two podcasts in a week, you have to have a Patreon, right? You have to have a million ads, otherwise you failed, right? I am nourished by the messages that you feed to me from our audience. (laughs) We keep it free around here. That's it. That's it for episode one of Shogun. It's been an awful lot of fun. We will be back with you on Sunday for episode two, and then we'll be back with you next week for episode three. Thanks, everybody, for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, and I can't imagine you got to two hours and 30 minutes into it if you didn't enjoy some element of it, please subscribe, rate, review, let us know what you think. You can also go to mangumtalks.com, up the right-hand corner, click contact us, let us know what you think of the podcast, or you can go to X, I don't love it, but it's there, at Mangum Talks, and you can let us know your thoughts on X, or uh, we actually do a lot of comments and fan back and forth on our Facebook page uh, as as so 2010 as that is. So go to facebook.com slash Talks and you can chat with us there. Thanks everybody for listening. We'll be back with you in a few days. <laughs>